podcast wouldn't do that. This isn't a podcast. This isn't a podcast. I'm giving you alternate reads here. Sure. You just seem mildly. This bemused. isn't a podcast. I'm trying to trying to think of my pleasance. I was I was gonna do the this isn't a podcast the, the big the big uh, Loomis speech, but then I realized a thing I should not say, and I'm about to say it is the blackest podcast. <laughs> right, we're not <laughs> the devil's podcast. Right. That's misrepresenting this show. <laughs> that will disappoint two different audiences. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, good call. This good call. This is not the devil's podcast. In fact, well. Sometimes it feels that way. Go ahead. And some people think. Yes. Yes. Uh, and everyone's entitled to their opinion. But this is, in fact, a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. Just starting it off. Which, yeah, let's just start it off, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think we have a lot to get to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear. And sometimes they bounce Baby. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a main series on the films of John Carpenter. Yep. It's called They Podcast because I was overruled. Yep. Good call by us. Yeah, I feel good about that choice still. To this day, I've read um, some of the comments when Marie put out the, the, the new miniseries the artwork. Yep. And I thought um, Podcast from New York was maybe like a good alt that we didn't that, actually really think of. I've never pitched that. I pitched podscape from newcast right which was stupid well no right. that was dumb that. and we right. didn't like I that i felt and... pretty vindicated by the comments saying why isn't this miniseries name sweaty enough right but here's the thing none of them actually said uh a title you know no one not it wasn't like sometimes they're all in on like it should have been called yeah. x title. What, what, what was do we know what was in the running yeah we know uh, i mean from from you not from podscape from newcast pod trouble and little caster See, no, it was there's one. That, there, there's one that just already is on my mind that makes perfect sense. What in the pot of castness? Yeah, yeah, I like that one. Yeah, assault on podcast thirteen. I feel like it was thrown out at one point. Yep, that was like yeah, that was a that was another good option. But come on, they podcast. That's fun. That's good. Well, they do. They you do. do. We do. We do. They podcast yeah. now. Yeah, and we uh, podcast now. I'm happy to be in person with you guys. In yeah. person. In yeah. person for the first time in. Two years now for us, yeah. Oh, easily, right? Well, uh, when yeah, when would the last time? I think even the last be? time would have just been something at David's apartment, right? You were last on the show. I don't a even year have a memory ago. of being in a studio, and I think it was probably a year before that. Well, well, oh, 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 uh, a Spider-Man commentary, yeah, at David's house, right? But that's 2019, yeah, yeah, two years ago, yeah, pretty much almost to the day, yeah. Um, oh boy, and I gotta say, you know, cats out of the bag. This is our Halloween episode. Correct. Guest is director and filmmaker Alex Ross Perry. Uh-huh. Everyone, and I feel triumphant about this. Yes. It's like, all right, so what's he doing? Memoirs of an Invisible everyone Man? Everyone assumes. Right. You're like, playing what's your the, usual game. What's the least right. essential everyone's movie right. in a filmography? They're all right, and I, I, it's a big surprise. Yes. You decided um, to break your, your streak of trying to pick the most irrelevant I film. should be doing one of those. David, right. how... Village of the Damned, you know, oh, one of those. It would have been Memoirs. Memoirs. It was yeah. the only one I've never seen. Yeah. Yes. At this point. But David, how... That's another thing. You like cold watching. Yeah, yeah. You well, do, right. Especially Being... someone who means a lot. But sure. David, how many minutes after the end of March Madness did I call this episode? Uh, I, You didn't do it during? 
Honestly? I think it was during the final day. I said, sure. if Carpenter wins, I want Halloween. You were very right. angry. On one of the March Madness updates, we casually said Carpenter essentially created a genre, and you uh, kind of blew up both of us yes. over the phone. He didn't blow me up. I got to say, this is something that happened to Griffin, really? not me. Yeah, I didn't get blown up. Maybe I blew up privately. Maybe I blew you up in person. No, you blew me up over not knowing the movie... Burnt Offerings. Burnt Offerings. That was right. the one that you were mad at me about, not knowing about that this movie. This came up in Oopsall Box Office. Yes. You guys were reading and it. And maybe he blew you up because you said he invented a genre or whatever. He had separate right. blow-ups at separate times here's, over, here's over 70s horror. He separated right. them. Here's, here are the facts, uh-huh. I think. Okay. Two, two things. One, I was very hurt by my pathetic and embarrassing loss in March Madness. And well, I wanted to just okay. I want to talk about that for exactly five minutes. Okay. Well, well, we can very briefly talk about that. And but as I that will pertains say, to my <laughs> wanting this for for wanting this okay. episode. Okay, just, well, let's put time on the clock. Just for uh, just just to be clear, <laughs> yeah. at March Madness, uh, we had some friends of the show pick directors. Right. This is uh, once a year. We let people know, vote yeah, for yeah, what yeah. miniseries we're going to do. And this year we mixed it up and we had one region where we picked eight of our favorite uh, recurring guests and let them each pick a director. And I said to Alex, who do you want? And you I've were I've been longing for years that you guys really should consider covering Oliver Stone. I, I think we should put five minutes on the clock now. I know you're saying you want to say something first, but let's have this count for the five minutes. I've put five minutes on the clock. Okay. Don't worry. I'm going to cut the clock. this no, off. We don't need to go over. I, I just need much to, to say through. something. I told you when you said Oliver Stone, I was like, Alex, Oliver Stone is not going to win a single Twitter poll. He's not cool. He's the opposite of what, you know, people on Twitter are interested in. I war- I'm just saying I warned you. I'm like, and I understand I said, what you're saying. You were like, what are you talking about? Bulletproof case. Like, you know, you guys yes, have to cover it. I right. said anybody who loves this show the way I do uh-huh. will instantly be like, that is Five months of incredible episodes. You you with are wonderful sure. insights on some of the most important films of American cinema of the 1980s, 1990s, and even a little bit in the 2000s. If you love the show the way I do, you will be like, I have to hear that miniseries. And it turns out most I, people don't love the I show. Was, the same uh, way. Well, I was also just trying. You're not on Twitter. To no. your credit. That's the, the other thing. I was not able to mobilize yes. any fan base because I don't have one. But beyond that, I was just like, if you take the temperature of sort of Twitter. Sure. Oliver Stone, he's peanut butter and pickles. Like, no right. one's interested. He's interviewing Putin long form. <laughs> right. He's just not in a place right now where people are fired up about I him. I was really humiliated by this, and I thought it was really sad because we were denied something that could be great. It's not that I wanted him to win. I didn't think that would happen. I wanted him to build enough momentum that at some point he, he seemed he might undeniable. sneak by maybe um, a couple. Jackie Chan. I wanted a couple victories. However... I also was very clear that the only thing I actually wanted was a winner from Ben's region. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I really wanted was for John Carpenter to win because Mm -hmm. this is a no brainer. Sure. Yeah. And then I was like, well, if I, if I'm so, I'm brought, I'm so low from this and I want to be on again, but I also don't want to just be like, well, I tried with a candidate and I lost. So here I am. We're talking about one of his irrelevant films. Right. I you don't like, want to just be g- given the Secretary of Transportation yeah, in the right, cabinet. Right, exactly. right, right. <laughs> I said, right. if this is happening, no one, you know, if somebody wins their their candidate, they sure. would probably pick the, the totemic episode. And when we did a fair amount of this of like uh, uh, offering to the people who had not been on in a little while and had other candidates in March Madness, like you get an early pick. You yes. can pick a big one. And I wanted the biggest because I knew Ben, maybe he could have said, actually, I just want that episode to be Private, no guests. 
Well, yeah. For, for such a big yeah. one. I mean, we do that sometimes, do but that sometimes. no. Sometimes but I, I feel like this one. is yeah. just, this director, I mean, Johnny Boy is just so beloved. Johnny and Boy. I feel like we would, we just, we, we wanted to have as many people on for this series as we could. So, yeah. I, I just want, I want to say something to your credit. You raised a good point, not a stink, but a good point after the fact that we should have considered, which is first round matchup. You should have gone up against JD as the two people without Twitter. It that perhaps like it was very, unfair to put the two of you up against people who are able to mobilize. A very brutal right. weapon yes. just to say to your followers, do me a favor, click on this thing. You don't know what it is. but I Well, this is why we're, we're, we're done with Twitter. Good. Yeah. So next year you'll put Stone back in and he'll go the distance because... Sure, fine. He his be in dark there. Well, God thing. knows what we're going to do. Was he in our Oscar versus Razzie bracket? No, you would uh, never had him in. If I looked at all 32, I would have said the only two of these that I really think would be wall-to-wall great are Stone and Carpenter. Wow. Like, just, these are just the best assortment of episodes, yeah. variety but of films. I'll say this. When Jonathan Demi won... I was wrong. You're swimming it in being like, this is a disaster. But now for the I know. Show. I was, see, I thought, and I told you this, and this is yeah. part of my argument Stone is the dark Sith to the Demi Jedi. It's mm. the same exact filmography art, right. the same highs and lows. And well. I said he's the same as Zemeckis. It's these kinds of guys. It, these are great miniseries. Yeah. Anyway, we're done I talking about it. I don't disagree in theory. I, 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 I'm going I, to be I, so I stringent one final thing. in keeping this focused on the film Halloween. Sure. I, that's why I want to say just one which, final which thing. Which, thanks to my structure, I will not get to for 45 minutes but then when i do we're talking about it. uh alex has come prepared with uh notes uh he's got well, a notebook he's not, got several well, printed pieces of paper the and things is, on his is phone. what i wrote down while watching the film okay the several pages i have printed out here is the syllabus it's my syllabus i came here to relitigate march madness yeah i came here to school you guys on the history of American horror as a genre from 1968 to 1978, in order to understand the context for what Carpenter did with this film and his subsequent career, right. and chew bubblegum. And wow. I'm all out of bubblegum. Those, okay. those are the three And things. I'm all out of relitigation. Okay. But anyway, anyway, fans have demanded John Carpenter, and they're right. Mm-hmm. And John Carpenter is a, a, a hero mm-hmm. and an absolute titan of cinema. Mm-hmm. And one of the finest filmmakers of the second half of the 20th century. No question, I think. But in order to understand him, I think there's a lot. And when I say a lot, I mean a lot Mm -hmm. of context that you need to understand. Okay. Leading up to the film Halloween, which we will be talking about in, as I told David last week, excruciating detail. This is, I feel like, truly in every way the least work I have done for an episode in as long as I can remember. And that even rewatching this movie, I was barely trying to formulate thoughts because I was like, Alex is going to do whatever Alex is going to do. The, our hands are off the wheel on this one, you know? Yes. So I'm basically, just for look, you to guide I, us through I, this. I love listening to your show. And I love talking to you guys as friends. But it has come up many times that horror is a humongous blind spot. Self-admitted. In some cases. Sure. But David Mm. really still remembers how brutally I raked him over the coals for on the Oops All Box Office episode. You guys chortling (laughs) and saying there's burnt (laughs) offerings. Like, is this a real movie? (laughs) Oliver Reed is in this. And I just tell you, I was like, David, this is a beloved film that you and and we all share the same exact. We all have the same DNA of of nerdery. Uh Right. We're all trivia veterans. Uh huh. We could all sit at trivia and basically hit the same rounds. Sure. But then within these subsections of nerdery, there are these other things that one person knows everything about and one person knows nothing about. 
And that's yeah. kind of the beauty of people that have essentially the same interests, but the interests diverge. And it also comes up a lot where I feel like, like David, you were saying last year, mm. you spent a lot of time familiarizing yourself with a lot of the horror franchises mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. have said you had not seen. Fun projects. Well, I'd seen some, but I'd never seen every entry. And you it was made fun it an to effort make it a to project. go through right. the totemic franchises. The, 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 the because these were blind boys. spots and sure. you wanted them filled in. And Ben, mm-hmm. you're obviously a big, a big, you're you're a big horror guy more so yeah just because, absolutely just because you're from from scum scumbag country like i am yeah pennsylvania absolutely. new jersey people yep. like to wear cut off shorts and sleeveless shirts and wear horror and get weird and drink a ton of soda which yeah. is what we were talking about drink before soda, we uh started this episode be kind of raw mm-hmm. and i just felt like if i, mean, I could hellraiser is like a hero of mine yeah pinhead he's a close personal friend pinhead. absolutely yeah. yeah we're 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 uh we're pen pals, but not in the way you think. You're we send like, each you're, other you're, names. I've seen Hellraiser many times, but I've never seen a Hellraiser sequel. Okay, see, that's a big problem. That's the, This is what I'm talking about, where it's like, there's only... Right. Ben, have there's you seen so the third many Hellraiser? avenues. The third Hellraiser is the, is the cyberpunk Hellraiser. And I know. So this is actually... Hell on Earth. This is the one with CD, Yes, right? the one with no, flying CDs. See, this is, yeah. like, this is like such a good reminder. It, it, I have phrase, to see this. I can't... A, a cyberpunk Hellraiser is a real Ben phrase, but... Man. Ben's kind of like the Renfield to the Cenobites, where mm. they're like kind of making you pay pay your dues, and then they'll potentially welcome you into the the Cenobite army. I'm aware of the CD Hellraiser. In that when we watched the Hellraiser franchise, way. I talked to you about right. He comes up. The first Hellraiser is a masterpiece. I love it Hellraiser. It's, it's wonderful. And then rules. a couple of Halloweens ago, at home, me, my wife Anna, I said, let's watch Hellraiser two. She said, this is pretty good. And we watched Hellraiser 3. And she said, this is the last Hellraiser I'm watching. <laughs> I'm finished with Hellraiser. She was out. She didn't make well, it a decla- bloodline. And keeping him, okay, we're going to get to talking about horror sequels. But we're not going to talk about Hellraiser because it comes That's after post. Halloween. Can I just ask? Can I just ask? Do yeah. they stop being theatrical after 3? No, I think Bloodline four. is the last one. Four is the last. Okay. Uh, but then isn't there, there's like a guy who came on board for the direct-to-video ones that made a couple that are are well-liked. There right? are. I haven't gotten into those. I, they, like, I know, And this is the whole thing about horror is if we're talking about this is it's so dense because these movies can be made so cheaply mm-hmm. that there's so many and yes. I get over it's like anime well not that I, I've seen a lot more horror than uh-huh. I've seen anime but where I'm like oh god I can't like there's two I'm just digging and digging and finding more things and I'm getting overwhelmed yes but the thing is horror fans will see everything it is a monolithic genre like you can if it's your thing right. you can see everything and if you look at horror fans or you talk to them, it's like this bullshit Netflix horror movie. I watched it straight to shutter horror movie. I watched it right. new direct to video Amityville movie. I watched it. And right. that's the relationship that horror fans have with the genre. And I feel like coming on this is the third Carpenter film mm-hmm. before any of his other horror films. And I feel like coming on to kind of talk about what the genre was when he changed it forever with this film and what he brought to it. To contextualize his innovations as a filmmaker, a director of the camera, really, and his use of music and writing is just so essential, not just to Halloween, but to the rest of the Carpenter miniseries. Can I just say, just to sort of like frame my blind spots? Yes. I'm going to say we're starting in 1968. Okay, because this is just all I want to say is that like uh, certainly is not my 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 genre of strength, right? Uh, in terms of movie knowledge to begin with. 
But also, I feel like in high school, I went through this period where I was just like, uh, homework's irrelevant. I'm just going to watch movies all the time, Definitely. which worked homework out really, really homework well. Homework is irrelevant. Me. Yeah, homework right. sucks. Yeah, fucking um, homework is the worst. It's, it's for losers. It's, pretty bad. it's for losers and babies. Um, and so I, I was very much like uh, systematically going through blind spots in sort of what I perceived as a 15 year old of like my film knowledge and stuff, right? So a lot of that was sort of what David was saying of like, oh, I need to watch the first movie of every franchise. So I, I kind of like did that and then would move on because I was trying to cover as many of the icons as possible without going deep into them. Freddie and Chucky are the two guys I went deep on. Unsurprisingly, they reflect the two yeah, sides of my personality. Bad boys and stinkers. Right. When also Freddie has so much practical effects and sort of fantasy elements, well, and very griffy well, stuff. And it's essentially yeah. a comedian and a toy. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, beyond that, my horror preference is just in terms of uh, aesthetics and vibe or whatever. Uh, not that I position myself as being expert is like pre-1960. Okay. Like German expressions right, for like stuff, Universal Universals, Monsters, right. even sort of like uh, uh, Vincent Price, early Vincent Price, Roger Corman oh, or whatever. Ben's giving I'm not you saying a... this in pretension. No, but there's, I, ha- I have a transition from that, which is very... I, that's all I just want Okay, to now you, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned 1960 because the first thing you have to mention is Psycho, mm-hmm. which is the first movie of its kind mm-hmm. that Halloween is a movie of its kind. There is nothing before Psycho that is like that. That is like, the premise of this movie is somebody picks up a knife and they use it to kill people. What if there was a guy who killed people? They use the knife repeatedly to stab people through their body and then the person is dead and then they go to another. Wait, isn't there that German movie, German expressionist movie, M? Yeah, the guy is M is different. Psycho is, what if there was a psycho? Yeah. I mean, it is. And M is M is less of a horror movie, is more framed around trying to catch this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's a little more he's he's like We really jumped down Ben's throat to correct him about what M is. Let's do some M explaining. But Psycho 1960, yes, that is obviously a huge thing. Anna also when I was telling her about my thesis I was going to present said make sure you mention Peeping Tom which is 61. Mm, great. Mm. Uh, isn't it later? Maybe not. Let me look it up. It's, no it's 60. It's also okay. 60. So those two movies 1960 are kind of two sides of the coin opposite sides of the ocean. And and Psycho is beloved. Gets yes. Oscar nominations. It's a huge hit. Peeping Tom essentially uh, ruins a career. But it's a Peeping Tom much like Psycho is a very pathological movie but Psycho is a slasher at its heart whereas I think Peeping Tom is like a very psychological. Yeah. That, that's yes. not really yes. a horror And it's very movie. meta. Right. Yes. It has these kind of murderous elements. It, it, it implicates it, the it, audience. It, it disturbed people and it was like prurient whereas yeah. like Psycho is like a roller coaster. Yes. And I've never great. seen Peeping Tom. Oh Ben. You're the I mean, paper. Can, I know. Can we I tell you what the out. basic premise of this movie is please it's a guy who's obsessed with the look on people's faces when they know they're about to die he's a cameraman and he builds a blade into one of the legs of his tripod and he like films women thinking that they're doing like screen tests Uh and he stabs them on camera oh my god it could be remade about a podcaster now absolutely uh anyway you're gonna hear me say anyway a lot while we're going through this anyway okay (laughs) here's one of the most important things about Halloween that people who come to it always talk about, always know, Halloween's independent movie. Yes. Very successful mm-hmm. independent movie. Horror then becomes, for many years, something that is largely independent or very low-budget studio mm-hmm. movies. But in order to understand how revolutionary it is that in 1978, there was an independent horror movie that became such a mainstream hit. I just want to very briefly talk about studio horror movies from 1968 to 1978 because everything you're saying your 
Val Luton movies, your Universal Monsters, horror was a studio thing. Right, right. And it was yes. a classy studio but, thing. And you're not going to talk... Why 68? What's because, in, okay, two okay. things happened in 1968. Also, it gives us a clean decade. Sure. Two things happened in 1968. There are two big bangs. Studio Big Bang 1968 is Rosemary's Baby. Sure. Mm. There had not been a studio horror movie like Rosemary's Baby for years. Mm -hmm. Rosemary's Baby is produced by William Castle, who was a purveyor of schlocky horror cheap thrills throughout the 60s, such as you're saying you might gravitate more towards. The Tingler. The Tingler, Mr. Sardonicus, Prowler, 13 Ghosts. Mm -hmm. So My kind of stuff. So a lot of the names. Oh, yeah. Watch out. Well, what if there was what if there was a tingler? But then right. there's there also like there's like the haunting, which is like a pretty Tony studio well, movie. It's also go- rules. There's lots of ghost movies, right? Ghost, ghost stories. Haunted House. We'll get to, uh, we'll get to the, the the divergent. Why it's so revolutionary to have a movie about a guy with a knife? Yes, right. but Rosemary's Baby kind of progresses. I, you're right. I've written down here 1958 House on Haunted Hill and The Tingler. Those are William Castle movies. Very gimmicky. Another thing I just think worth mentioning very briefly is that in earlier decades, you would go to the movies and you would see a bill of shit. And B-movies were literally the backup movie and people would see horror films. They were the lesser films that were like the added value behind whatever the prestige movie were. And by the 60s and 70s, people are going mostly to see one movie. One movie. So there, you no longer have 60-minute Boris Karloff movies right. about a guy who opens a sarcophagus. Right. Hey. But there's always a market to be making Look these out. movies for cheap because they need something yes. to play after. But to yeah. me, a crucial – we're not going into this, but a crucial 60s figure is Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Right. Who Rolls made – Master of Gore. Yes, totally violent, cheap, low-budget, mm. independent movies throughout the 60s. It's not mainstream, therefore it doesn't really factor into this conversation, mm. but I'm not going to not mention Godfather someone. Godfather of Gore. I'm the Godfather sorry. of yes. Gore. I'm sorry. As the name of his documentary, I believe. I've only seen like... 2000 Maniacs, Wizard of Gore is my I've favorite. I've seen Wizard of Gore. Blood right. Feast, which is an Egyptian-themed thing. Right. I believe it was a sarcophagus in that. Color Me Blood Red, The Gruesome Twosome. Gorgor Girls, all of his movies are terrific. Sure. But it's pure exploitation. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about exploitation. Studio horror movies, because exploitation always exists parallel. It exists throughout the 60s. But Rosemary's Baby is such a huge hit. When you said that there hadn't been a film like Rosemary's Baby for years, are you saying that essentially there's like a space between Psycho and Rosemary that's not filled in? Essentially, yes. In terms okay. of Psycho Universal, Rosemary's Baby Paramount. Right. The, the studios are not saying what A-list top shelf directors could make a horror movie that we are going to take very seriously and will end up with Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. Right. Rosemary, that's not a thing. Obviously, based on a book, yes. it's this very bougie movie about being middle class and buying an apartment yes. and having children. Very and, specific right, yeah. milieu. And we're going to, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I just want to quickly run down. After that movie, there is Up Into Halloween, something of a boom of studios making horror films. Sure, because mm-hmm. it's a huge thing. It's a, a huge hit. hit and of Jump course, on the trend. Right. people try to copy this. There's not a ton of them, but there are a handful. I'm going to run them down. And these are in order. I put these in order. Okay. And, and weirdly, the first one of these is the only one that functions as basically an independent film, but it is a Paramount film, which mm-hmm. is 1971, Let's Scare Jessica to Death, mm-hmm. which is a film I love. I feel like it's a film people who see it, love it. Yeah, I know one of the all-time great titles. Yes, too. a great title. It's also, uh, it's got that great tag. Now I've got a, right? Uh, something is after Jessica, someone, something very cold, very wet. Mm. And very dead. Hey. Yes. And literally, it's a great film. Perked his head but up. But it is, it is weird that that's way. kind of yeah. in my, again, there are gaps in my research, but 
that is kind of the first like it's a big studio movie it's a paramount movie mm-hmm. but it's just like this it could also have just been a halloween an embassy pictures it was release. a paramount movie but it was like a rounding error for paramount basically right cheap little movie yep. 1971 is a great movie that fox makes called the mephisto waltz which is alan alda playing a pianist it is scene for scene the same as Rosemary's Baby. I know nothing of this, but it sounds like my It's shame. really good. An occult kind of yes. movie again. We watched right. this a couple years ago, and it's like, oh, well, this is three years after Rosemary's Baby, and they were like, so in Rosemary's Baby, John Cassavetes is an actor. In this movie, we should make Alan Alda a pianist. It's the Mephisto Waltz? Mephisto yeah. Waltz. And he sells his soul to the devil to become a better pianist. Sure. It's actually really good. Yeah. It's really fun. Alan Alda... Pretty good in a horror movie context. Directed yeah, by Dang Paul, Devil coming from my soul. Paul Wendkos. That's his name. I don't know. Good movie. Just wanted to mention it. The next big one, 1973. It's a big movie. Mm. It's The Exorcist. Big mm. one. Yeah. One of the most successful films ever uh, made. A hit. We're going to come back yeah. to it. But I just want to say at this point, worldwide, $597 million adjusted. Yep. Warner Brothers, 10 Oscar nominations. Right. It's one of the five highest grossing Beyond movies of all that, time. Though, also, that the book was one of those books... I was not alive at the time, but I feel like it was one of those books that was on every coffee table. It was like a blockbuster book, too. Again, like the book often helps here, mm. right? If you're adapting from a best selling novel. Have you ever, you know, the cover of The Exorcist yeah. is yeah. like famous for like every scaring beach house. young children. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. I would stay at it. Would be I there. just decided this Halloween I'm going to reread The Exorcist and read Legion. Le- read Legion. Are you going to watch Exorcist 3? Or... I've seen Exorcist 3. I know. I'm saying, are you going to, you like to do a, a rewatch marathon yeah, sometimes we might, we might. themed. I haven't watched The Exorcist Every in July 4th, you text me about whatever like political thriller yes. made the cut this year or whatever. Yes, right, thrillers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's here's the thing with the package yet. Not yet. I'm gonna. We can't get into it, but there's a great movie on HBO called the, or maybe it's on Amazon now, the package with Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones. Sounds good. Cold War thriller. It's like it's just such a David movie. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, Exorcist, 1973, huge hit. Weirdly, this I was actually surprised by. 1973, Don't Look Now, not a studio film. Mm, I thought that this was like an art film. Right. It is, but I thought MGM made it. But mm. I think that's just because I'm picturing the I old DVD. They had the home video rights for a while. No, yeah. it's yeah, it's a whatever. It's like a British. So it Italian... bears it bears mentioning, but it kind of exists outside. Now, weirdly, by this time, also classy, also based on. So that's the thing Daphne is that a lot of these you know. are quite classy. A list stars, yes. A list stars, but also movies, has fucking. This genre it's got some fucking. Yeah. Yeah. This genre now in my cr- chronology, only five years away from Halloween, mm-hmm. is very A list. You're bringing in a yes, lot of big actors, Tony, but. And then there's just a few more. But even at this point, I found I found it interesting that De Palma has not really gone horror yet. Yeah. No, he's Sisters still doing... Sisters is 1972. Right. And That's horror. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Carrie is 1976. But then those are the only horror movies he's made. Because Phantom of the Paradise doesn't really count no. as horror. I mean, obviously, it's sort of horror, no. yeah. uh, you know, nodding to it. No, or, but he is know, not yet it. a horror filmmaker. Right. Uh, Carrie's United Artists. So that's a studio movie. And but then, yes, on as, as you mentioned... Star driven now, mm-hmm. and but these ones, some of these aren't quite horror horror, and some of these are going to come up again in a minute. Okay. But just the, the the rest of this list now, from seventy four to seventy eight, studio mm-hmm. horror. We're starting to ramp up a little, a little bit. Yeah, okay. It's alive, nineteen seventy four. Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. Larry Cohen's movie, Evil Baby, mm-hmm. Stepford Wives, nineteen seventy five, Columbia, mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby Connection, mm-hmm. Ira Levin, Levin or Lewin, yeah. Ira Levin, yeah. Ira Levin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, Stepford Wives, kind of horror, kind of satire, yeah. But that's a Columbia movie, kind of a hit. 1976, The Omen, Fox. Huge hit. Coming huge, back, huge hit. Coming back to that in a minute. Yeah. 1976, Burn Offerings, United Artists Distributed. Great movie. 
Amityville Horror before Amityville Horror. David's avoiding eye contact. He does not want to face the wrath. People moving into a house that is evil. Totally good movie. But Amityville Horror, so Burn Offerings is 76. The Amityville Horror book comes out 77. So the true story the, is maybe. Yeah, the movie, the tree, of course, the the true story book that 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 definitely happened. The movie is when? 79. 79. And we're coming okay. up. I know that that's just after Halloween, right. but I have to mention it in a minute. Mm-hmm. The rest of these, 77, Audrey Rose. Don't know if you've ever seen that. Don't it's a good little movie. creepy girl movie. I think there's a ghost. I think it has a ghost element. I've there's also been a shift, though. Even these are all as, UA. That's Robert Wise. But I, yeah, I yeah. feel like these these uh, eight years you've covered, right? It's starting out with like, oh, it's proven directors, international yes. art house auteurs, this and that, and often like, based on a bestseller. We're right. making classy films that right. can, as you said, be sold as a single feature. Right. Demon Seed, 1977, USA. Mm. Yeah. Julie movie. Christie, yeah. sort of evil technology movie. Yeah. Ben. Demon Seed. Never seen it. Evil technology. Mm-hmm. Cool. What if what if the, the what if, computer? What, what if you gave your house to a computer and the computer tried to uh, make make you pregnant? Yeah. And what if a witch hacked that computer? Seventy seven is also the Sentinel, which is Universal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I feel like is a movie that people have come back around to. But these are the kinds of movies that start to just have tons of stars from right, like the forties. The right. Sentinel is a Michael Winner movie, yes. and if you grew up in Britain. Which no one here did. Which so. I did. Right. Irrelevant. What? You know Michael Winner. Obviously, he directed Death Wish as well. And he You grew up. Sorry. <laughs> I g- wait, wait, is the new shock that I grew up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just a big kid now. <laughs> I am a big kid He's now. Like a very big boy. Michael Winner became a guy who would like, you know, what he was like a pitch man. It was weird. Well, what he was the director? His, what yeah, was his he became this, what like, was his column t- called? Don't, don't look it up. Don't look it up. I don't know what it was called. You have to well, okay, Michael Winner. Don't yeah. look it up. Winner takes it all? No, Michael Winner wrote a, a column he, he, for a thousand columns, I Winner think. Winner Circle? Uh, yeah. About restaurant reviews. Yes. What became, was this column called? Griffin says, where does your brain oh, go? Winner's it. Dinner. Winner's Dinners. Right, 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 right. He became this guy who would like wear a cravat and say Britain used to, you know, Britain used to be better before and he would tail off and you were supposed before to I you know, read into what wish. he was talking about. And you were like, aren't you the guy who made these like trashy ass movies in it's the 70s? So bizarre. Anyway, He's an odd uh, figure. Anyway, yeah. The Sentinel, I think, is a, it's a, is that set in Brooklyn, right? That's like a Brooklyn Heights movie. The Sentinel is indeed set in Brooklyn Heights. Yeah, it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. 1978. Uh, Chris the, Sarandon, Martin yeah. Balsam. Yeah. But it's got, the, 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 the Sentinel has like a cast of, I'm, I'm not mistaken, but there are like- Ava Gardner. Right. There it. are like golden age actors Burgess in Meredith? Yeah. You yes. know, if they made a Brooklyn Heights horror movie today, it'd be about uh, the coffee shop running out of oat milk. Brooklyn Heights horror movie. What's the <laughs> what's the terror? Oh, nobody, nobody, nobody knew how to respond to that. Yeah, he did. He, he took a shot. I have, two, a I have shot. two more things. Hey, shoot I'm your shot. That's what they you say now. We admire, we admire you for that. Thank two you. more of these movies: The Legacy, 1978, Universal, mm-hmm. Sam Elliott, and um, hey. Catherine Ross. Yeah. This it. is a. Is that where they meet? Yes. Fuck. This is a very sexy movie oh. and a good horror. Oh, movie. oh, excuse me. Also, the poster is a cat divided by, and then there's smoke underneath the cat, and then there's a uh, an evil hand coming out of the bottom of the cat. It's a great poster. We have. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. What is this? I don't know. Could use a little more Sam Elliott on the poster. It's a sort though. of like isolated. Like they're in a little. Bit of an and it's a Richard Marcon, director of yes, Return of the Return Jedi. Of the Jedi. Mm. It's just before mm. that. It's a pretty solid movie. And then yeah. 1978, the final one on this list, mm-hmm. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, United Artists. Oh, great, sure. great movie. Yes. These are so these are kind I of I have seen most of these films, just to be yeah, also interesting. Like a lot of these are repeating the same stars. Like you have two yes. Christie movies, you have two, two Sutherland mm-hmm. movies. Like there are high class actors who are dipping their toe into horror and staying there. Yes. 
Now, that is kind of the the extent of mainstream studio horror filmmaking between Rosemary's Baby and okay. the release of Halloween. Right. So you understand with the list I just read, and we mm-hmm. described most of those movies, just how different Halloween. Right. Nothing that we just talked is, about is any. There Halloween-y. is nothing even. Rem- a lot of these are supernatural. Mm-hmm. A lot of these are vaguely sci-fi adjacent, and then mm-hmm. there's one other element that unites these that we're going to talk about in a minute. And they tend to be a little more uh, psychological paranoia based. They also largely take place in very. As David said, very moneyed, very, very high class situations. Mm-hmm. None of these are about children. Mm-hmm. No, these are almost exclusively about adults. Mm-hmm. Because you, because I imagine part of the calculation, partly it's that they're based on these books that are often about. But like it's yeah, like we're, we're going to need a Gregory Peck or uh, whoever, right? Like we yes. we're going to need a big serious star to ground yeah. this thing. Uh, but, but a lot of them are also about sort of like the threat to the family unit, yeah, like sure. someone who has made 100%. a proper life for themselves. And a lot of them are. Set, I mean, obviously, The Exorcist is DC. Well, okay, is so here's the, four of the those. Omen. Okay, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the, the Mount Rushmore mm. because you're absolutely right. Here's the Mount Rushmore of the four, and again, one of these is just after Halloween. But the whole point of this is trying to contextualize when Halloween comes out. How could this movie be such a big deal? Mm-hmm. How could it go so far against the current of the genre? So the four movies, Mount Rushmore, right? Rosemary's Baby. Sure. That's George Washington. The Exorcist. Okay, that's Abraham Lincoln. The Omen. Okay, that's Teddy Roosevelt. Amityville Horror. For some reason, that's Jefferson. 79. Yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Now, the one thing, what's the one thing all four of these movies have in common? Okay, so uh, sorry, just to go through it again, it's uh, Rosemary, Exorcist, Amityville Horror, and The Omen yes. are the four. These are the four most successful Horror movies of, I know Amityville is one year after Halloween, but of this decade. They're all about having children to some extent. Uh, no. Yeah, well, they are. Yeah. That's true. Apart from but Amityville, who is, who is, but even Amityville. What is the main is, threat yeah. in these movies? Kids. Ben, you know, you, know, you know who I'm talking about. You love this guy. Wait, what? The main threat in those four oh, movies. Oh, it's the devil. Oh, Satan, Satan yeah. himself. Oh, yes. The yeah. Dark Prince. Whose podcast? Yeah, this of is hell. this is yeah, the Satan, darkest podcast. The darkest podcast. Right. right. The four biggest most successful movies They're of demonic. this decade in the they all are literally about Satan Rose or the Rosemary's baby. What if Satan fucked your wife and mm. made a baby? And you the let omen, it happen. What what if you buffer right. the love the sponged omen, your wife to Satan? The Omen, what if your kid was the devil? Yes. Right. The Exorcist, what if your kid got infected with the devil? Right. And the what if you moved into the devil's pied de terre? Is, I guess, the least demonic, it but is. it's and more but of it's, a haunting. But it's also, for God's sake, get out. For God's sake, get out. Right. But the and point there's is, going, it, it, there's it, a demon pig. It deals you know, with the sort of religious sense sure. of of um, demonic horror. I would say also, the tr- undisputably, the trashiest. Well, I know you don't like Amityville. I don't hate it. I just feel like it is the one. And I'm going to explain to you why you think that. Okay. In a minute. <laughs> because He's getting right in my head. There was some episode where you were like, Amityville, that movie's pretty bad. And Anna was, we were like in the car listening to it. And, and Anna was you, like. And you hit break and, and there was like a 28 no, car pile Anna, up. She, she, I think she, I mean, these are, all, Blue these are all films we love, but she loves Amityville. And sure. she just went, oh, come on. Wow. Because I'm it so is. Sorry. Well, you should rewatch it. It's quite strong. I also recommend visiting. The I should house. rewatch it. I should. Wait, I should revisit what? I also recommend visiting the Amityville house over in Amityville, right there Long in Amityville. Island. Yeah. Uh, um, but anyway, okay, okay. So here's the success of these four movies, just to contextualize how much satanic evil people were eating up for this ten years. Mm. Rosemary's Baby, two Oscar nominations, two forty nine adjusted gross. It wins. Was it won supporting one supporting actress. Right. Should have been nominated for more things. Obviously. As I already said, five ninety seven. Million adjusted, ten Oscar nominations. It gets the a screenplay win, right? I think is its it only. It? Yeah, let me look it up. 
Because Burstyn um, doesn't win. Burstyn doesn't win. Won but, at that point? No, she wins the next year for okay. Alice, right? Okay, right. Uh, but let's yeah, one Freaking screenplay one and previously. sound. Yes. Okay. Which um, is fair. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a great year, um, but but that, uh, it, the Exorcist is just an insane outlier of success. But it it, it, it well, makes people comfortable with horror, the devil, Satanism. And religious horror. Well, that's it's what I was also, gonna say. That's what's weird about The Exorcist is that it's almost kind of pop, like popular with Christians right. who wouldn't normally be into that kind They're of into it, because it's, it's so also so scary to them and right. explicit. That's the thing. Like you're pushing boundaries with The Exorcist, the language, but I feel like we're beyond beyond the gore. The language, right. like Good coming taste. out of a girl's mouth, right? At that it's point insane. In time. Great yes. film. Great film. It is. It's okay. the best. It's the, so fucking good. The, the Omen is so, so scary. Much. It's great. God. It's my favorite horror franchise. And it's one of those things like Friedkin just, he's fucked it up so bad now. Like, oh, sure. Wait, wait. wait I feel mean, like a couple years ago, he screened like a Atmos mix DCP. And I know people who saw it and they were like, it's fucking trash. Sure. Like, what he has done to this. I didn't. He also loved, did his. Had, his recoloration of French Connection yeah, where he made he, it look like inside Lewin Davis and he was like it was always supposed to look like running he's, pastels he's, he's, yeah. <laughs> I mean well, I liked when he added the going the spider down walk. the, the yeah. stairs the version, that. you, the, the the version you've never kid. seen was was solid was solid although I still don't prefer it no personally. I wouldn't put it on now no anyway but and then also he made the Demented documentary where he talked to like the real exorcist who's this, like, this one million year old Italian guy who's like yes uh, Harry Potter is the devil and you're like what is this movie <laughs> Yeah, you just also want to constantly one. like scream at freaking like you're Jewish. <laughs> you're allowed to be interested in this, well, but just he acknowledge has, it. He has the vibe of like he, anyway, he doesn't want to, you know. Love, he, that's he, what I'm saying. Right, I just yeah, want to yeah. remind him. Right, right, and also right. Friedkin's the keep is the guardian. Just oh, putting sure. that out there. Well, look, Friedkin is the original blank check arc guy in my opinion you know he bankrupts you've the studio practically you know you'll like, do yeah. him he'd be fun i'll come I, on he, for the guardian i'll go back to my usual lane for that sure sure okay sure. the omen 277 million Huge adjusted hit. two oscar nominations and also like jerry goldsmith you know has a song that's like oh, no, no, yes. that was like a ch- a charter <laughs> like yes. it was like on the billboard charts <laughs> uh, what's it called ave santani right like, like the- <laughs> but the omen is we watched the omen last halloween the omen is so good but again, like I haven't seen the Omen in a long time. What you have it's now a lot of fun. is like a stately apartment building, an a, a, a mm. Washington D.C. like a very like nice middle class house, right. an ambassador's home, and then Amityville Horror, three hundred eleven million adjusted. This is not a studio film; it's AIP, one Oscar nomination, Lalo Schifrin. But again, these are like that's a big family's house. The Omen is a big family's house. The Exorcist is like a modest family's house. So again, like. Halloween is not like these four sure. huge movies in sure. any way. Now I feel like the the context for what American horror is in mm. 1978 I think is pretty clear. Right. But then there's this other parallel thing. Now Halloween indisputably probably the first massively influential slasher. Mainstreams the slasher, sure. Yes, it mainstreams the slasher. But here's a quick list of other slashers. Again, from this era. Carnival of Blood, 1970. Mm. Great film. I've never seen. I've heard of it. Um, great title, obviously. Yes. I mean, Silent Night, Bloody Night, that. 1972, which mm-hmm. is really early. And this is a very straight down the middle slasher. It's also just so lurid and sick and like not at all comfortable. It's a Christmas horror movie. Last House on the Left, 1972. Does that count as a slasher? No, it's in there. It's, it's 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 so scary. Obviously, well, that movie is very disturbing. Obviously, oh if you're God. talking rape revenge, right? It's I think of that as a rape and it revenge movie, and of course, a remake, it's a remake of, of an Igmar Bergman movie, right? But nevertheless, you can't not mention that as the sort of West it just Craven. in terms of a also a movie that is being presented to audiences is like 
Do you dare right. experience this? Right. Absolutely. But you're also, going to faint. You're going to vomit. Sh- like, you know, 72 is early for that. Like It that is. is. I mean, that movie is so distressing because it doesn't feel like Hollywood has even touched it at all. That's right? the other thing yeah. is that what I'm trying to it's now establish real. is that we talked about these four huge Oscar nominated mainstream hits. And then yeah. there's throughout all of this, this concurrent genre trajectory of these other films that are so gross and right. violent and dirty and nasty. And this is pre-video, so it's like you have to go to a theater and have this sort of crazy yes. experience. And these movies right. play for right. two years. Right. Right. And right. and like right. William Castle movies were like selling this like people are gonna fucking faint. You won't right. believe it. And you, then you watch the movie. There's, and a, it's nur- like, there's a nurse and in it's the like lobby. a right. spider dangling. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. That was, right. They were all about the sort of like carnival barker theatrics of like people are are losing their minds. Blood you have to sign a waiver right. to get into the theater. We have a Doctors conducting evaluations. Did you, just, did you see when Film Forum did the William Castle series like 10 years ago yes, when they did all the gimmicks? Yes. It was with so the good. skeleton flying over yes. the audience and you signed it was a blast. We are we are not exaggerating here. This was part of his genius, was like he would hire actors to be nurses outside with stretchers, and they'd be like, This last screening was a rough one. Yeah. People are signing waivers, there's <laughs> things we'll floating we'll, in the theater. We'll but do what, matinee. We'll do Joe Dante. Yeah, matinee, 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 the, 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 the Joe Dante uh, John Goodman movie is just like one to one of William Castle tree. But yes, that's the whole uh, phenomenon and people are buying into it. But in terms of what's actually being depicted on screen versus when you get to things like uh, Last House House on the Left, where it's like, we're not fucking around here. You're going to see shit that's going to upset Right. It's like this movie looks like it was it looks kind of like a documentary because there's no there's no production value. Right. It's 10 minutes of someone being raped and 70 minutes of people avenging that rape. But like quietly and the music is just kind of like this weird occasional jangle and you're just it's so you can't creepy. look away. Yeah, it, it's when these films start to feel a little like snuff films yeah, very, versus something like they're, Exorcist. They're nasty. That's pushing they're the illicit. Limit, but yes. They're dangerous. And this is where Halloween. This is the the paving. Like, this is where Halloween can land in a few years. Sure. Seventy four Black Christmas, the big boy. huge influential film. Right. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Deranged, which right. is also based on Ed Gein, as Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. It's right. by far the most disgusting version of the Ed Gein story. Mm-hmm. I love Deranged. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, top 10 film all time for me. Obviously but, the best. Yes, it is, yeah. it is just the one for me. But again, like, and we'll talk about this in terms of the slasher and Halloween, but like Texas Chainsaw Massacre takes place nowhere. You don't need to be afraid of that happening to you. Unless you happen to be mm, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you are definitely like, why don't these kids uh, <laughs> maybe right. hang a left? There, and there, the there's that turn back. If your you car breaks down in the middle of right. nowhere, you're in danger. This does not bring the threat into your home, uh-huh. which is kind of which is one of the I mean, things I want to start mentioning. So Halloween, Halloween does that. None of these movies do that. Black Christmas kind of, but again, like no, but Black Christmas is a weird ass movie. I mean, it rules. It's very solid. Um, but it's set obviously in a sorority house and. You don't know who the killer is at all. No, not and even you at never the understand any iota of the killer's motivation. It's not motivation. about a killer. It's about people who are being picked right. off. Right. And it I mean, again, it's very atmospheric, but it it almost feels like someone's just kind of telling you a creepy story. Yes. It's much more of a fable. Right. In like the sort it's like an urban legend, is what I mean. Right. Like uh, a, the final two I want to mention, Shivers, Cronenberg, you have to just acknowledge that he's mm. starting to do things at this time that are incredibly valuable to the Sh- genre. Shivers is the one that's set in the high rise. Yes. Yes. That, and it's a that sort that of an infection breaks out. Again, yes. not a slasher, more of a zombie adjacent mm-hmm. movie. 76, this is a slasher, Alice, Sweet Alice. Great Never film. Seen that. Iconic. Young Brooke Shields, the great uh, yellow raincoat with the mask imagery. Uh, a very, very solid film that is a true, true blue slasher. 
Okay. And I don't want this. We're not going to get into this, but you can't not mention that throughout the seventies, you also have Argento. Sure. Just to mention what else, we, what else we, is happening at this time. Right. We Birth mentioned Crystal that. Crystal Plumage, 1970. Deep Red, 75. Suspiria, 77. We mentioned that on the um, Griff on the Precinct 13 episode, right? Yeah. The, yes. the, the, obviously, that's a cousin to the slasher movie. Right. the Shallow movie. So, yeah. like, again, like, those movies would have been playing. These are in the culture that mm-hmm. then makes room for Halloween. But, like, these are all independent. These are independent films. These are made by people with whatever resources they have. And these four things I just want to quickly mention are not slashers at all. But the other big bang, the reason I start 1968, is Night of the Living Dead. That and Rosemary's Baby begin a 10-year trajectory that by 1978 allow Halloween to exist. Mm-hmm. Where you it's mean just in like in terms of how they're being made. Just how they're being made, yeah. how they're being marketed, drive-in, double bills, grindhouse, exploitation. And then they just like play forever and make tens of millions of dollars. Uh, Blood Freak, 1972, is a movie about a guy who turns into a chicken. Cool. Uh, 1972, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. This is Bob Clark who made Black Christmas. Another all-time great title. Kind of a zombie movie as well. The 1973, Messiah of Evil, which is a zombie movie made by um, Willard Hyuk and Gloria Katz, Katz. who then did Howard the Duck. Right. And and co-wrote... American Graffiti. Right. Yes, they're Lucas people. Ultimately, right. later, Messiah of Evil is just a totally low-budget, gnarly zombie film that I have a huge amount of affinity for. And this is like, this is where Halloween, this is what's important for Halloween, right? Like, I've always said this. I've said this since I was in film school. He's always said this. People, He's always said that. you've heard me say that. I said this about Verhoeven. I said this about Christopher Nolan. All the way back to when you were in film school. I the history yeah. of independent film, right? If you look at the canon, they're like, here's independent film. You have Cassavetes. You have these things. It's like, no, the history of independent film is these movies. The history of independent film is some huckster being like, I can raise $100,000 from my community to make a movie at the carnival that we have, and we can make a horror movie at the carnival, and we'll make a million dollars. That's the history of independent film. Mm. And everything I've just listed is proof of that to a T, as is ultimately Halloween, where it's like genre cinema, horror, exploitation, pornography... All of these things are independent film that they don't tell you are independent films, which is weird because everyone's like Halloween, independent film. Right. Sure. But later they're yeah. like that. But right. at the t- But like, yeah, but it's more it's just like, guess what's playing this weekend? That movie you've heard about yes. that's so scary. Like, do you, do you think part of that, Alex, is a framing of like, well, Halloween was independent film, but then Carpenter went on to do studio things and the sequels were studios. And so it made good. Whereas they want to keep, like, in film schools, right, the idea of American independent film as being this sort of, like, elite, classy of course, thing. Of sure. So it either has to lead by the to film mainstream or respectability right. or it has to lead to, like, critical respectability. It wouldn't behoove any film professor to be like, look, you're all going to make independent films. So I'm going to show you a bunch of 70s New York pornography <laughs> and a bunch of horror films made by people who live sure. in Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> And I'm going to explain to you what fifty thousand dollars got you then, and right. what you like you would you would be chased out of town. Yeah, because that is not the official canon. Right. But if you want to, like, when I was starting to discover these films, I was like, the the use of negative space and maximizing your limitations in these films is so much more useful to me than watching Stranger Than Paradise. Sure, because these movies, like, they have nothing, and they're good. 
they and, are. And they're just, they're made on a shoestring. Like, you know, you have like, uh, what, like Carnival of Souls, which I love. And like, one of my favorite movies. Just like a movie that some guy made. There's also a viable career path being presented versus like, or you can bet that you are the one in a million guy who becomes Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Because everyone comes out of film school being like, but I'm Jim Jarmusch, right? But I mean, like, Carnival of Souls is one of those special things where you're like, well, what else did this guy make? And it's like, like no, not he didn't industrial make anything films, else. yes. Right, yeah. yeah, exactly. He made instructional movies. But as did Romero. Right. Right, but then, but like, it's like Carnival of Souls is so beautiful yes. and it has like one of the most incredible like edits I've ever seen. You know what I mean? And you're like, how did this guy But not? then the other side of that is a movie like Monos, The Hands of Fate, sure. mm, right. which like is Famous, a mystery science movie, theater right, staple right. where it's just like, not everybody who's like, I begged my dentist for 10 grand. And I begged <laughs> right. my, my lawyer for 10 grand. And I'm going to make a horror picture. Not everybody can turn that into gold. No. Sure. But certainly a lot of people, a lot more people tried than anybody thinks. But also like... Th- that movie has more of a life, even if it's only for being bad, than the indie drama equivalent of that. Yes. You know, Absolutely. even if it's only as an object uh, of fascination, these shoestring movies do have a more viable life than yeah. any other genre produced and on that sort of And because people who level. love the genre can look at them and see yeah. value in them. You can right. see some creativity because of how little you have. Mm-hmm. And there's so much of that in Halloween that we will soon be going over but like it's just this is so basically up until this point this is what the genre is right this is the mainstream and independent sense of horror as a way of understanding when john carpenter makes this movie about a guy who kills babysitters Mm -hmm. how fucking revolutionary this thing can seem because what you have is movies about rich people who are families dealing with satan Mm -hmm. (laughs) or movies about people in weird ass rural locations being killed by zombies Mutated chickens, Leatherface, what have you. Monsters. It's terrible things happening to good, morally upstanding people, or it's dumb idiots make a series of bad mistakes and get what was coming to them. Or like, you know, in the dumb, you know, Messiah of Evil shivers, it's like, or there's just like some sort of disease, Mm -hmm. Night of the Living Dead. Like, Night of the Living Dead obviously has so many, so much influence in this way. But, okay, so like now zeroing in, getting closer to Michael Myers. Okay, so you're for Slasher Mountain. You don't want to get too close to that guy. That guy is not that close. The knife's long. So we, okay, so there's another Mount Rushmore here, which is the Slasher mascot Mount Rushmore, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is a Mount Rushmore Ben probably visits, right? You've got your four guys on it. Got Leatherface, Mm -hmm. 74, Michael Myers, 78, Mm -hmm. Jason, 80, Mm -hmm. and Freddy, 84. Mm -hmm. Right, those are the four. Those are the guys. I don't, big four. Yeah, I don't know that there's anyone who can really challenge. No, I mean, no, those are the no. four. But there's a little stone Chucky who's like running behind the mountain. But Chucky, he he's strays little. He's little. from he's little. slashing. He's, he's not making I, I think a joke. Wor- I think Chucky works at the right. gift shop. I don't think right. Chucky yeah. works at the gift shop. Fine. I don't think right. they put Chucky on the mountain. I just want to say, let's not act like he's not a knife guy. No, I'm not he like arguing for his inclusion. Halfway into his series, he's then he's like, you know what? I mostly do bits. But you know what? Like, you know, I like him. But you know who starts off doing bits is Freddy, Freddy Krueger. He's like, oh, yeah. although he's less bit heavy in the first nightmare. Yes, he's he's mostly yeah. just a scary guy. Yeah, number there. one. Yes. Looking at these four franchises, of which Halloween is arguably one of the best. Yeah, and is also the earliest franchise, right? Because the second Texas Chainsaw yes, exactly. takes a while. This is happen, very important. Right? So yeah. for the four above ground horror movies, and then for these to a, a different okay, extent, so this is the sequel how much sure. the legacy of these things is connected to what becomes of these franchises, mm-hmm. right. right? So like, 
Rosemary's Baby has a made-for-TV movie. That's mm-hmm. fine. But Rosemary's Baby is almost seen, and you can see this from the fact that it's the only one of those that no one has just, like, straight-up remade. Right. It's almost seen as, like, it's just one of those things you don't go back to. They did the fucking NBC version a couple years ago right. that also everyone was like, we're so just going to ignore this. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, so not, just, let's not talk about it. It's this. one right. of those things like Jaws where it's just, like, Hollywood's just, it's you're, not, you're just not going to do Rosemary's Baby. Right. Yeah. So, Exorcist 2 comes out in 77. That's pretty soon. Right. Amityville 2 is 82. Now, this is a $12 million gross, 32 adjusted, Mm. down from 86. So a huge dive. No one wanted to go back to And Omen 2 is 78. Right. And so, like, David, you're talking, like, Amityville that has, like, a dodgy reputation. It's because that movie goes from, like, a B-plus movie. Mm. I love Amityville 2. Everyone who loves Amityville Amityville 2 is a prequel, right? It's the one that's about the original movie. And it is made by an Italian filmmaker whose name is escaping me. Uh, It's uh, Damiano Damiani. Yes, of course. Wow. Sounds fake. And it is, I'm seeing by Why it is Luigi? Just like, it's like, just, wait a it's, second. It is a sick movie. Like, it is a sure. sick movie. Made. I gotta say, yeah, it sounds kind of nasty. It is like, it is a genuinely depraved movie, but it's the one that, like, horror fans are like, Amityville yeah. 2 is a masterpiece. Uh-huh, but right. nobody in the mainstream But this is that. what I'm talking about, where you're like, okay, what about the Hellraisers? And they're like, everyone's like, well, we all know five and six were a huge rebound. And I'm like, we all do? <laughs> like, really? We all know. I have to watch five and six now? We all know <laughs> that Amityville 2 is beloved. Right. But, like, it takes the franchise from, like, sure. respectability straight into the grindhouse like it is no longer a mainstream thing it is now right it is now filth well then i'm aware that amity i'm aware of amity will three because it was 3d like many a three yeah and it's pretty fine it has meg ryan but it it. also has the poster where it looks like a dinosaur hand is coming yeah wait what happened to this franchise (laughs) it's like a goblin hand don't you think also amityville has a problem in that like People keep moving into the same house, and you're well, like, "Come on!" <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the realtor should warn people. You heard about the horror? Yeah. Have you seen this fucking movie? It's impossible to not just think of the Simpsons thing with the murder house when yes. Marge is selling real estate. Um, but but anyway, no, my my question was so obviously the 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 horror icon becomes crystallized later in sort of the Mount Rushmore that you established, yes. right? But it does help that like Rosemary's Baby. Exorcist and the Omen all have at least, even if only in brief glimpses, some kind of physicalization of Satan where you can, in theory, continue it and go like, I understand what the central fear is, whereas Amityville is a little more abstract. So you can make a sequel that pleases hardcore horror fans, but like passive viewers are just like, I don't know what the thing is anymore. Yes. You know? For sure. Well, that's like, so Omen remains classy. Omen is like Damien lives in in the circles of society of right. course we all know damien is evil that helps them that they had like a physicalization yes. that exorcist was does clean. the same Three thing with is the one with sam neil yes where he's like where he's like president or he's going to be the president or whatever yeah damien Neal Neal three okay. and then exorcist similarly tries to remain pretty classy for two three is of course gonzo and great right. but amityville just immediately becomes something closer to the independent films right sure. like right. amityville it does just, not try to like you say just goes right into the trap yes, right. right. yeah, yeah, yeah. so like that's why those originals be, the, that's why those are still like a-level films and amityville is an a-level film right but like with slashers they don't go from a to c plus they go from like b to B minus right. or from B to B mm. plus even. Mm. So that's why like this these four slasher things, like they become franchises with seven or eight movies 
most of which are solid. Texas Chainsaw is the one that's not quite... That's too gonzo, yeah. Right, because all the sequels to that are weird. Well, three is when New Line is like, we're going to make Leatherface like right. one of our slasher guys, like Freddy or Jason. And three, I always was like, I love three. I haven't seen it in years. I saw a print of it at Alamo a few years ago, and I was like, oh, this movie's not that good. I've always yeah, said well, this and, one was great. And then four is the one with uh, Reese, Renee Zellweger and the, the, the new generation. Right. The next yeah. generation. And, and uh, two feels a little like Gremlin too where yes, it's just very like much so. a little but it's bit, also like 12 years later but that's the thing I it's like they waited somewhere. too long the director's sort of like if i'm gonna do this again i'm not gonna do the same movie again and they made something a lot weirder that people didn't really yes. yeah but, okay with. so like basically this is what i'm trying to say about sequels and halloween certainly pertains to this like you can make a great slasher and you can make a so-so sequel and it's fine you can also make a so-so slasher and then make a good sequel and you can then make six more right and the other thing that has to be mentioned 1978 is dawn of the dead which is the yeah. first sequel that people are like, that's better. Like, sure. That's just undeniably Period. better. Right. But it's he, also, he had more money. He improved on it. It's, it's sort of evil it's, dead. It's but that's, that's later, another reason that I right. wanted to talk about 68 to 78 because right. it's sort of the night to dawn right. era. But like, okay, so there's two modes you can work in here. And uh, like something, and Halloween will talk about this, like Friday the 13th part two is like the one people think they remember. Yeah. Right. In the way that there's stuff in Halloween, there's stuff not in Halloween that people think is in Halloween. Because of the sequels? Just because of the legacy of the franchise. Sure. Yeah. And also, I mean, Halloween also, they mess with the TV cut of it. Well, we'll talk about the TV yeah, cut. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. so this is like, this is what's interesting about, so all of those, those, those with Friday the 13th, the first three movies are what people think of as yes. the first movie. But they, like, Cause they all are the same movie with improvements yes. and they're all doing the exact same so, format. Yeah. But you see how those four Oscar nominated films do not become viable franchises. No, and then all sure, four right. of these slasher mascots spawn these never ending because Friday the 13th right, part right. two is quite solid. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 obviously has its fans, but it does there are then there's no reason to make eight Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm. sequels. Obviously it's been rebooted. Texas Chainsaw is a superior film to Friday the 13th. Yeah. But they nailed the sequel so hard that they could then go up to space. I mean to talk I mean Friday the 13th as well is like that's a Paramount film. Yeah. That's a studio film. And that's the studio being like wait a second, we could do one of these a year for nothing and make a ton of money yes. and they just make a little farmhouse on the set like on the studio lot and they tell like sean cunningham and and what's his pants like you know yeah just one a year yeah and it's what it's either the fourth or the fifth i think it's the fifth where the producer is like we fucking made a porno in the woods like where he was like really no one was paying attention to us at a certain point (laughs) and there's sort of at that point like the studio's like wait a second what are what is this shit like but for a while it's just it becomes this well-oiled machine that becomes a viable franchise. And like, but so this is all to say, what does Halloween do differently than these films? Why is Halloween so different and special, even though it comes before Friday the 13th? And and like, so we need to talk about that. But like, it's okay. The final girl, Black Christmas, proto slasher. Mm. There's a lot of people in that movie. Olivia Hussey. There's no final girl. Right. Obviously, no main character. Really. Obviously, this is one of the innovations that Halloween is credited with, even though it's in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm hmm. Sure. There's Sally riding away. Final shot, you know, her face. Riding away at the end. Right. But, so you can't say the Halloween invented that. But what you can say is that none of these movies take place, like, on the suburban street that everybody lives on. That everybody is like... That's why this is the best movie ever made. That's the thing here. My point now that I've arrived at it is that 
everything we've talked about for this entire decade either is ignored for Halloween to innovate its own things or Halloween plays with the things that have been done but does them better. Um, now I'm basically ready to like talk about Carpenter. I've been like idly working on this since April, <laughs> what I just went through. Uh, yeah, we know. And you've been giving us updates. You've been sort of warning well, us Because occasionally I'll watch something else that will change something at some point I need to right. make. Yes. But also recently I've just been watching lots of Carpenter movies. But it is like, okay, obviously this is incredibly detailed and specific and the kind of deep dive into context that only certain people can wrap their heads around. Some real nerdy shit. But the thing say. about Halloween is that it is it's just like an absurdly simple movie. And it if, sure you, is. if you haven't seen it before, which somebody might be coming to it for the mm -hmm. first time for this series, or if you haven't seen it in a while, it is almost impossible to watch it and be like, oh, I understand why this movie is the most, why, I understand why this is still the slasher movie against which all others are measured. Because you look at it and you're like, this is just like a good movie. That's the way I saw it when I was 15 is I watched it and I was like, that's good. That's the whole thing. Like I had no complaints about it, but I also was like that like sent like seismic shockwaves across the industry. The metaphor I'm going to make is like, it's kind of like when like I feel like you would get into like like punk and people are like, you got to check out Hawkwind, like proto punk. And then you listen to it and you're like, ah, I don't know. It's OK. I had maybe I had to be there. Yeah, like, and, I don't know. This is fine. Yeah, sure, but it's right. It's like showing someone Casablanca and they're like, well, this is corny. They're saying all this, like, corny stuff to each other. And I'm like, no, 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 no. They, like, no one was saying corny stuff yet, right? Like, or whatever. Like, but anyway. But it is, like, the whole thing I was trying to wrap my head around for months, culminating in watching Halloween last night, is, mm -hmm. like, how can you possibly understand what a big deal this movie was? Sure. This movie that cost nothing. This movie that has no production value beyond its steady cam and its music right its and, big star is donald pleasant yes and like how can you how can you explain to somebody even someone who loves the movie and loves carpenter this is the 10-year runway that this movie landed on mm, and sure. now 40 years later you can just copy halloween and still make a pretty good movie why is that right there is a very small selection of movies where you could do a direct sequel 40 years later and have it feel that big. Yes. You know, like not only is everyone still ripping off Halloween, but the idea of like, fuck, we're doing Halloween again. But I think Alex's point is interesting and true, which uh -huh. is like if I tomorrow was like, I'm going to make a movie called, you know, Arbor Day. What's the plot? A guy kills some people. Right. He gets out of prison and he kills some people. Yeah. People would be like, I'm excited to see that. <laughs> yes. What like, kind of movie I like to see? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's trees. We no, cut no, trees no, down. It. Just, it's, just, it's called, it's called right. fucking Tuesday. And right. it's like, well, this guy gets out of prison and he's going to stab eight people. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I like Tuesday. I think that's there's some potential there. But Put it Ben's on the blank check picture something. slate. Ben, right, Ben's not going to do a Arbor tree Day. zone. No, Arbor Day, it's like he's got one of those fucking... You know what's good about Tuesday, though? You have six sequels ready to go. Right. That's true. Tuesday you're saying Wednesday. Tuesday 3 Monday is the prequel. Yeah, right. Tuesday 0. No, but I like Tuesday Origins. I like Oh my god. I like I like the Arbor Day idea where like he's got like some garden shears or whatever. No, he's got like the you know in Gordon Green's Joe, they have that axe that's like filled with the acid that they use to like kill trees and he's like an environmental activist who got like 
thrown in jail for chaining himself to a tree that was going to get bulldozed. And he comes out and he starts chopping people down. But that's what I'm trying to say is you guys are putting gimmicks on it, which is fine. And people uh-huh. have done that. You're for, saying for, you could I'm just saying do Tuesday. I could just pitch Halloween to yeah. someone and they'd be like, yeah, that's the kind of movie that still gets made right. and people still pay money to see. Yeah. And it's still viable. Well, that's the thing. Like the thing about this that I love, right? Like there are, I would say, many people hundreds of thousands and i don't know who every single halloween will put on halloween mm-hmm. sure. right and you have to which under- was of course the idea behind calling it halloween obviously right. and this has paid off for 40 years with now a yeah. 200 million dollar sequel but this is a genre where all of the films i listed except for the oscar winning ones right like mm-hmm. these the canon of horror is shaped entirely by fans mm-hmm. right some of these movies had positive critical appraisal at the time. Certainly there's your Pauline Kale De Palma. But by and large, if a movie like Halloween becomes a classic mm-hmm. or Friday the 13th, it is because the fans are like, we're, this is a classic. Yes. We are going to claim ownership of this from the people who made it. And we have decided canonically that this is one of the great films. And we as a community of people who love the genre are in control of film history for this genre in a way that like, foreign film fans are not and horror house film conventions fans. and graphic tees and of all course. these things like Fangoria and fin, right, but, you know. but these are things that now kind of all at fandom at large resembles and it's like the modern comic con is, is so right. much more indebted to horror cons than yeah. it is to what comic con used to be which was a place to buy comic yes. books it, it, it's hand in hand with sci-fi in that right. way right which is a subculture that consumes and owns its thing the difference is it's cheaper and easier to make and and i think it's more accessible i think there's a horror thing too that is unique within the genre of just like people getting elevated to being legendary status yes you know where it's like you are a megastar within this bubble but and and that but also right that totally weird thing is like who's that six eight guy who looks like he had a stroke and it's like that guy's leatherface in the third leatherface but also sometimes they're like don't you know who that guy is he played the cop in four disparate horror movies (laughs) who doesn't catch the guy in time but this is the thing like people who love that and will line up for an autograph like these are the people of which i am one like no one who loves the the movies, the horror movies, has not seen Halloween. But right. they can watch it right. every twelve months. Yeah. You're so then it becomes this question of why watch something that you know forwards and backwards? Sure. Why right. do I why, why have I watched Star Wars every day I've been six since I was thirteen years old? Sure. Why like that's my first thing I do when I'm so why watch something? But it's not a mythology. It's just designed to titillate teenagers for yeah. one night right. of sex and violence. Why watch these movies? 50 times and that's the sort of like consumer swallowing the product that horror is and and like sure. they they just it's not about it as i was saying earlier it is i need to see everything i need to watch it all but it's also like i just also need to on a loop be re-watching everything else so like there is you know you could screen halloween or the thing or uh, the you know these carpenter movies it'll be sold out yeah people will always line up I mean, to just re experience these perfectly made films. You and I went to see uh, Guns N' Roses in concert in New Jersey we the did. other night. Uh, first concert in eight, 17 months. I mean, I was doing the math on it. It's, it's my first concert I've gone to in at least four years, I think. Oh, wow. That's a long time. I, I believe. Well, it set the bar very high. Yeah, I don't go to concerts very often. Uh, I don't like standing. Um, well, we had seats. Thank God. Thank God. But um, we we had a long conversation in the car right back, and you were sort of 
uh, comparing the horror community to Kiss. Heavy to metal and rock. Sure, really, but you were yes. using Kiss as sort of like a, a, a perfect distillation of the thing. Yes. Where it's just like this bizarre feedback loop between the fans and the band that have always been successful but have never been respected as high art. They've never been canonized as one of like the cool groups. There's like a rabid sort of hunger for consuming this stuff over and over again, repackaging it. Uh, revisiting it, merchandising it out the wazoo. Much like horror, right. something like Halloween, a band like that could say to their fans, what do you want to buy? Right. And they would say, what do you have? Anything. Right. If right. it can say, as Gene Simmons says, if it can say kiss on it, it should right. say kiss on it. If it can say Halloween on it, it can. It will say Halloween on I, it. I just think it's interesting. And they can be yeah. in the Library of Congress yeah. or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but it doesn't mean that John Carpenter is going to get an honorary Oscar. Right. Or that people are going to be like, legitimately as cinema, as we like to protect it, we're letting this one in. They can sure. be like, yeah, that's a great slasher, which is a genre of horror. Right. Is but John Carpenter going to get an honorary? I feel like he cool. will. He could. Should I feel like he probably happen. will. Yeah. Especially I, now that they do like six a, a year, yeah, they should like give him one. And also it's just like they're starting to branch I into stuff. Yeah. That, you know, like, He's on a long list. Right, right, yeah. right, right. But that would be insane. As someone who was in terms, it would well, it would represent the grand art of these things. It certainly would. Right, appeal getting a screenplay Oscar kind of comes from. It feels like some full circle moment of like we should go back having a seal of legitimacy to it or whatever. Well, yeah, it's a movie that just quotes Halloween. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like it feels like them being like, "Fuck, we should have, we should pay some respect to John." Well, it's just one of those things where you can look back at 1978 and be like. Yeah, like the the score of this like Halloween should have won an Oscar for score. I don't know what won in seventy right. or should have been nominated right. at least. I think you see the thing is I checked my best score, nineteen seventy nine. I hope you checked it to put Halloween on it. No, Halloween was on oh, it. Oh good. I was good. checking my ballot. And I and I saw it's not the winner. I have Days of Heaven, Ennio Morricone's famous uh-huh. score. Mm. For any of the listeners who don't know, David has a um how far back does it go? Goes back to 1928. Oh my God! David has a spreadsheet 1928. What he would give the Oscar to in every category, and what the five nominees would. Be. And some people think like, oh, it's just the main. No, nope. no, I got original score there. But so, but is that wrong? I have to now. And I, I was sort of shaking because I was like, obviously, I must have Carpenter winning score here, and I don't. Days of Heaven, obviously. I can't picture it right now. It's a tremendous score. But oh, I could, I could sing all of it. I mean, but like, I could, uh, I could sing. I could book. A venue. The, I could go to Carnegie Hall and sing all of but, the Days of Heaven score. I mean, the Halloween theme obviously well, is once, designed once, once to stick all in your head. COVID problems are gone, that can be a Patreon bonus tier. That'll be a Patreon tier. Griffin also, Newman one night at Carnegie Hall singing the Days of Heaven score yeah. live to the film. <laughs> That'll yes. be great. Wordless Music Orchestra presents Griffin Newman's. Da, 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 <laughs> but I mean, this is also da, 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 the year of... of yeah, John Williams's Superman score. See, that's a good uh, score. A great score. Good score. Uh, also, his score yeah. for the Fury, which is a great score. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good scores. But yeah. this is. But you're exactly this. This is what we were saying in the car when we were trying to find a tunnel back from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. Fruitlessly is like the sort of disreput disreputability. Right. That's not a word. Yeah. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. Dis- Keep the, going. The disreputable nature of things like rock and roll or heavy metal or horror. Right. And then the sort of 50-year arc of mm-hmm. these, or 40- or 30-year arc of bands that are regarded, like Ben, like punk metal bands, mm-hmm. loud, vulgar, trash, as these movies all could have been. And then 40 years later, it's like, 
Well, Iron Maiden sell out two shows at Barclays Center every two years. Mm -hmm. That's 70,000 people buying a ticket to a band that has never had a mainstream crossover. And it's like, and Halloween, you can reboot it and it makes $200 million or you can repackage and people will buy the new Blu-ray, the new box set. Mm -hmm. Like these fans... They belong to the things they love, and the things they love belong to them. But also, and this like they, this ninety yes, minutes yes. is just like this perfect object. But also that they create industries in a certain way where you're like, uh, you know, I, maybe I'm speaking out my ass here, but like uh, graphic tees of things from pop culture are things that children wear to bed, right? Sure. I, I do feel like uh, adults wearing TV shows of the uh, T-shirts of the media they like is a thing that really gets pushed through. Griffin by is uh, wearing a Orco T-shirt. I'm wearing Continue. an Orco T-shirt, and I'm wearing uh, Halloween Horrorthon, and I'm wearing Hello Fennel. Hello Fennel. Yeah. But but do we recognize this guy talking about sequels? Let me see. Turn to me. Is the creature from the Oh, oh no, 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 no. This is one of the Halloween costumes from Halloween 3 season of the Oh, it is, of course. Oh, yes. shit. That's right. Wow. Wow. To be fair, it looks a little like the creature from the Black Lagoon. No, it doesn't. David's stupid. I get the point. Creature yeah, you from do. the Black Lagoon. He's green. Well, he's green. Yeah. Green guy, red, red eyes. Well, so is Oscar the Grouch. He doesn't have red eyes. No, well, I, I started saying this before you said the red eyes. He doesn't have a hood on. But convention based okay, so. around appearances, yes. right, is a thing that really formulates from the horror community and demand of we want to meet these people who otherwise would never be recognized in their grocery store. We'll now no. line up for hours to to meet them for forty dollars autographs. Right. Um, uh, the cane hotter defecation of. Uh, yeah, Not just that Fangoria existed, but that modern fan journalism, if we can call it that, is closer in tone to Fangoria than things like Variety and Hollywood Report. Absolutely. Right? And even the tone of, of shit like Deadline or whatever is closer to Fangoria, I Absolutely. feel like, sure. by and large. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're also looking at shit like the endless re-releases, repackagings of home video releases. Well, there's a very important formats. part. That's going to be my transition into Carpenter. Yes. Carpenter's career. Obviously, this is his third film. This is 1978. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ghost of Mars, his penultimate film, is 2001. Right? Mm-hmm. Sure. These are the... This is two... Uh, two with no, no quotation marks. This is the era of VHS. The first VHSs are made and marketed from Hollywood movies in 1978 from Fox and Paramount. 2001, I think, is the first year that DVD sales right. overtake VHS. It's pretty sales. right. That's mm-hmm. when that's when your Carpenter's your career mainstream people are everyone's starting to buy a DVD. Mm-hmm. Carpenter's career lines up in a Venn diagram. It's just inside the circle that's of the right. VHS yeah. era, right. and he as and he's the guy whose legacy is really formalized by VHS. Yes, I would every argue. one yeah. of his films, whether you have a Halloween clamshell, like if you're a horror fan, having the Carpenter collection on your shelf these are just beautiful tapes of great films that the aesthetics while obviously made for theatrical distribution are intrinsically linked to home video you and you made a point of rewatching this on vhs i've had a, this hol- episode, I, and a then, halloween vhs i've had for over 20 years and then today you took or, or posted a photo of your uh, uh baby daughter uh holding the vhs she tape. grabbed it off the table when i was feeding the cats uh and i came back and she just had my halloween tape in her hands or grabby little hands, but but that, was that the moment you truly became a father for the first time that you felt the pride? Uh, it could have been. It'd be too bad if I waited eight months for that. But but no, I was very proud. I just yeah, I, I, she was close enough to the coffee table yeah. in a chair. She was restrained, and uh, came back from feeding the cats, and she had my Halloween tape in her hands. It was very exciting. Mm-hmm. But like this is what you're saying. Carpenter became mm-hmm. emblematic of 
owning your filmmaker because he came out right when you could do that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then made movies that are lean, mean, 90-minute films that you want to rewatch all the time. And you would like to own them because they have beautiful artwork, beautiful posters, beautiful iconography. And you want to have these films in your collection, but not in the way you want to have the Star Wars trilogy. It's much more of a of a personal thing it's not like everybody owns superman sure. on vhs yeah everybody owns mash on vhs it's like oh not everybody owns the thing on vhs i you, dave and i are obsessed with uh physical media are, but so, I, I abandoned vhs well I that's a problem i've been trying to get you back to it for years i can't have there's no space for these fucking things go on Griff. go well, on do what i for do years, live in an apartment that is to... just stacks of things <laughs> on the floor that i don't know how to organize <laughs> i've been telling david for years he needs to get a vcr i told him yeah. i would get him one as a wedding present i told him i get him one as a baby shower present yeah he won't let me buy him a vcr um i do think i i've started circling back around not that i need a fucking excuse for another collection but there's certainly vhs's i held on to for a very long time right certain key movies but then also things that for a long time weren't released on dvd and even when they finally came out i stopped like pawning off my old vhs's and started circling back to certain things because there are movies that there are movies where you have a nostalgic association to them in that format because that's how you saw it. And even though it's not the proper presentation of that movie, it hits some spot. That's right? why I'm watching a, a, a widescreen movie like Halloween on, exactly. on VHS for the 10th time. But then there are genres that sometimes are actually weirdly, if not uh, uh, benefited from that format, gain some sort of adjacent parallel power in that Absolutely. format. Absolutely. That it almost works as like a different cut of the film. It's smoothing over edges, it's abstracting things in a way that certainly helps with horror movies being produced on a budget, sure. but also things where you're dealing with like patches of darkness, you know? And there are plenty of those in this movie. Yeah. It's a dark movie. It's a dark movie. Um, Their joke is that they couldn't afford lights, but they also couldn't afford extras, which right. is one of these many things that makes many of the scenes in this movie just Eerie. staggeringly weird yeah. right. and very, very off-putting in an entirely unnatural way in a purely mundane environment. Absolutely. Um, there are... I, I counted this when I wrote this down because Dave, when Dave and I went for a, a dad walk recently, mm. you were, oh, I yeah. was like, I have all this Humble stuff brag. I want to talk about. Thank you. Uh, context background and you were like well that's fine because you know, what, what is there to say about Halloween We like the movie itself and I was like no we're talking and about we didn't know, uh, you're, you're characterized I did not say that this is also like one of my favorite movies ever and I, we, I haven't even talked about my experience with Halloween I want to hear it and about Carpenter but I want to say one thing first there yes, are go ahead. five sequences in this movie Okay, um, four of which are short and then one of which is 45 minutes long Right, that's the construction the, the back half mm-hmm. is yes right, that's the, the construction this movie is prologue Loomis at the hospital, right. a bit of context in Haddonfield at school, Loomis coming into Haddonfield, and the girls going after school, then it's nighttime, 40 minutes in, and then that's the, right. the rest that's of the movie is a straight connected line. So there are five sequences. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I will say this. I was terrified of this movie before I saw it. I was. This was the scariest thing in the world to me. I knew what it was about. I knew it was about a guy called Michael Myers who went around and stabbed people. When I learned this, when I was like 10 or whatever. Yeah. I would. I had never heard anything so scary in my entire life. Because I was such a big scaredy cat, and I was such a right. big video store kid, and I would look at these VHX boxes that would like terrify me, and the concepts would terrify me. If I come on TV, they'd terrify me. I don't remember ever being scared of Michael Myers in that way. But, see, I was you li- but you lived downtown. You did That's live downtown. True. I lived I mean, I in lived... a house in a cul-de-sac. I didn't live in the. And I, I was. I was similarly. Yeah. 
terrified. But I, I just remember being like, Jason is scary. Freddy's scary. Well, Jason Chucky's takes scary. Manhattan where you right. live. Right. That's, well, well, he well, that was the scariest. It. He did take it. Yeah. Well, Jason and Freddy are more superficially scary looking, right. I suppose. But, but looking that, at things like Basket Case and Creepshow and whatever, I'm just like, these are like grotesque. They're horrifying. Right. But those this I thing would came get, to life. Whatever. I would get that they were scary. Yeah. Basket Case, so good. Um, but then I Basket like, Case right around the corner from where you grew up. Yeah. Such a good Right movie. on 6th Avenue is where Too part scary. of the movie takes place. Um, Too scary. But. I'm not scared of Freddy in the same way because I don't think anyone's invading my dreams. I'm not going to any... Oh, that's my ultimate fear I because I love sleeping. And if someone fucking dares mess with that, uh, they're on my shit list. Uh, I'm not uh, scared of Jason. I'm not going to summer camp anytime you soon go to when lake. I'm 10 years. I do go the to the lake. lake where you refuse but to no, throw no, Ben's I, jeans off the dock. That's true. <laughs> okay, for one, that's the other You're not scared of Chucky? Two, I wasn't. Anyway. But no, just, I'm scared of Chucky because if toys could murder people, I'm fucking dead I had, in a second. I had genuine problems. Yeah. Like, not genuine, but like, I would get scared because once I learned of the concept of, yeah, there's like a serial killer. What's that? It's like a person who goes okay. around killing people for so no Michael Myers real is reason. Just tapping into that for you. It's He's probably a, the first time sure. I'm hearing about it in a significant way. Okay. What? What? When was this? What well, I think I'm like nine or ten years old, something like but, that. But so was this before, or after you would have seen Scream, which is a first horror movie for a lot of people? I had not seen Scream. Okay. I think I was aware of Scream. This is before Scream, but and then I became aware of. Scream. But I thought Scream was like a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and Scream is such an MTV movie. Well, it's very meta and it's yeah. very. It's but I didn't see, right. probably didn't see I'm just Scream saying, until for, a couple as, of years. You guys later. talked about this once when Scream yeah. came up. It's like there hadn't been a horror movie released in theaters like that for it's true. seven it was, years. Right. Yeah. So a lot of people, that was the first time they sat in a theater and watched a slasher movie. But this is interesting. Like, the there's a crystallization of. Your understanding of serial killers existing it could just as a be thing, a guy, right? Like, and also with that, a name that you could make a movie with that structure, right? Both are tied to Michael Myers. Like he Very becomes creepy. the face of that entire concept for you across reality and art. And then I see the movie. I don't know. As a teenager, I don't know when I saw it for the okay. first time, but it was on television. But by that point, I'm a cinephile, a budding cinephile. Well, well. <laughs> sitting and there so with, your, also, with your beret yeah, and, your, right. and your cigarette holder and and while I'm, he's on the boards i'm already appreciate and then there's a <laughs> yes i don't know if i should tell this story. say it do it there's Got a it. there's a moment sometime in my teenagehood where i'm uh extolling halloween to somebody a couple friends english people while you were on vacation yes. right unfortunately we're no, the use of a holiday <laughs> Just show up in a foreign and city yelling. I'm describing the scene. The movie you like. <laughs> I'm describing, I think, the scene where Loomis and the sheriff are like in the um, the Myers home mm-hmm. and there's you know poking around and then like the window something falls through the window. A gutter or something. A uh, it's a gu- I think it is a gutter. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's a good jump and it's it's you know, obviously there's nothing to it, right? Great moment. And I think I described the scene loudly. I think I just described it as a pipe coming through the window. And for years, my friends would repeat me saying, like, crash, a pipe goes through the window, which I don't think I ever said. I think they puffed it, it up It became a play against Sam. Exactly. You and like I, me, like, you really if, like if, me. There's, if, my, if the two people who know what I'm talking about are listening, they know, they know what 
They know. They would tease they you by this. screaming crash. A yeah, pipe all the time. If I ever got excited about anything ever again in right. any context where I would become more animated, which crash sometimes I do. Because I feel like you get animated a lot. That's yeah. that's why I was afraid to say it on yep. mic. Oh, well, it's part of, the, <laughs> part of the glossary now. It's in the lexicon. That, exactly. Baby. And so I don't know why I'm re- bringing this back into my life, but... The yeah. and I want Ben to offer some of his. Ben's holding a carpenter book, yeah. But I want to just quickly say, I also I cannot remember for the life of me exactly when this was, but there was two consecutive weekends when I was like 12 where I saw it must have been the sci fi channel. One Friday showed all the Halloween movies, mm. and I was at like maybe I was 11, and at like seven or eight o'clock i was like oh, i'll watch this mm-hmm. and the next thing i know it's seven in the morning and i can't sleep and i'm terrified and the next week they did friday the 13th and i just remember these marathons and then but halloween similarly i was like well i'm not at a lake and i don't have any reason for jason to come after you me. mean friday the 13th yes, yes yes yeah yeah however i do have this fear that some guy might just walk into this house and it's stab scary. me with a knife <laughs> because yeah. Really, the street looks not unlike my own. Right. I didn't live in the suburbs, but I still, right. I did, you know, I lived on a quiet street yeah. in London. In New York City. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, <laughs> I swear to God. And even put down that knife. I do think that's the brilliance of this movie. It's right. It's like the, 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 and I've said this, I think I've said this on this podcast before, but right. Like the, the suburbs feel so safe. Obviously, that's how they're designed. Well, see, you know, it's funny. I think of the suburbs as being very terrifying, well, but I we, wonder if it's only because of horror movies. Because they're quiet as well. But like, right. but, you know, the but, suburbs uh, are supposed to feel safe, yes, right? They're sure. supposed to be the place, sure. you know, where you're like, well, of course I can, my kids can run around here. But then it's, of course, of like, well, if a guy with a knife wanted to kill you, all he has to do is like open one door. Right. No one <laughs> right. locks their door. Well, this is why I find them scary. Whereas, like, I look at slasher movies like as a kid, and I'm like, well, I live on the 11th floor. I'm right. golden. This guy's not like, getting to me. Right. Like, yeah. But like, and like, I mean, one of the most brilliant moments in this movie is when she's hammering on the guy on the door, and the light comes on, and then nothing else happens, and then she has to go to the next yeah. house. I yeah. mean, it's so good, and it's so unspoken. That, no that, one's fucking helping you out there. No, I am realizing that fear this is really why gripped I'm, me watching this movie for the first time and many other times. Like, that's what's so magical about it. And then, like, yeah, like, you look out your window and you're just, like, as they look out the window in this movie 15 times. Sure. And it's just, like, there's nobody out there. I I (laughs) am realizing this is why I think I'm so much more scared by supernatural shit. Another scary thing that's in this movie is just getting stuck into, like, boring conversations with people that live in the town with you. God, (laughs) that is another part of the suburbs that is the worst. Keystone to many a horror film, of course. That that early scene where it's like... Bad talk. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Creek. Just kidding. It's not an ad read. Sorry, it's me, Alex, cutting in to my own contextful episode with one crucial thing that I forgot. I had it written down. I can't believe that I forgot to talk about this. I lost sleep later that night because I knew that the explanation of this movie and this time period was not complete without something incredibly crucial. Okay, going to be very fast. As I've been saying, 1968 to 1978 is the period I am discussing here as a way of understanding how and why John Carpenter's Halloween landed with the impact that it did when it came out in 1978. The biggest thing I forgot to mention is that 1968 to 1969, Zodiac Killer starts murdering. 
1969, Charles Manson. 1972 to 1978, John Wayne Gacy. 1973, the beginning of the Golden State Killer. 76 and 77, David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. And starting in 1978, Jeffrey Dahmer. These 10 years that I'm trying to explain as being the period of American history into which Halloween is born cannot be properly understood in terms of people's hunger or appetite for slasher films, horror, whatever you want to call it, without first understanding the overwhelming rise in crime, serial killers, serial murders, random killings, and other associated fear that crept into the country at this time. This is where slashers come from. This is why movies like Halloween are separate from all the other horror movies I have been talking about that came out prior to 1978. Okay, back to the episode. Ben, what do you have in that book there? Do you have some Carpenter well, Halloween I, stuff? Well, I mean, for? I just have it as we're going to go through. I'll throw yeah. out some facts. We can talk about all five I think we should sequences. talk about maybe Deborah Hill's involvement. Yes. She's come up a little bit here Very and interesting and very important, I think, to... She goes hand in hand with Dean Cundy, I think, for this film. Like, she, I yeah, think... Big looking, influence Looking up both of their filmographies the is undeniable that she brings Cundy to Carpenter mm. because mm. she works with him before... She works with Dean Cundy on earlier films that she's involved with. Yes. So his career is in progress. Um, her right. career is in progress. And then she kind of brings him over. He, uh, yeah, right. He I, had... I have, yeah, she, she worked on, it's 1977, Satan's Cheerleaders, which is a good movie. And also 1977, Charge of the Model T's, which stars Troy McClure, of course. Um, uh, I... and, and, and Dean Cundy shot both of those movies. He didn't shoot Assault on Precinct 13. And right. then suddenly he's Carpenter's guy. Clearly once she's, I, you have to assume like, this guy's magic. Like right. there's something he's doing here that we need to bring over. And she also clearly is like in the scripting, the Laurie Strode is obviously as has been historically noted, a character she was very connected to and gave the, her hometown, the name of Laurie Strode's hometown. Mm -hmm. She's obviously very instrumental in shaping both the story and the craft of this movie. Some, some things from our dossier. I'm just looking at mm -hmm. this to, to, to spice in, right. You know, like they also just came up with scares before they even had, you know, obviously they, were they like, know they're making. We scare every ten minutes. We want this to be structured like a radio serial. But like right. Deborah Hill has the idea of like, what if your boyfriend went downstairs, came up with the sheet over him, but then it's not your boyfriend anymore, yeah. and they're like, great, that's got to be in the movie, yeah. right? Like things like that. Like they're coming up with the ideas first, and they're like, don't worry, we'll we'll that build is, a plot around. That is this. Michael's one bit. It's a good bit. Yeah, I, it's I funny. Great. Well, I the glasses very is funny. what makes it a real well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, the, the glasses, and then he cuts the eye holes in the sheet, yeah, yeah. which right. you don't see him doing. Yeah, but he loves eye holes. We know from the first shot, this guy is fucking obsessed with eye holes. But he's got a mask. But you don't see him do it. I yeah. would like to see him You'd like to see him just delicately. It's not easy. No. And they're very symmetrical, and they're the same size. They always do line up, because like sometimes it's like uneven, or they're too far apart, One is big, and one is small. The way Hill puts it is she wrote the first draft and it was mostly the teenagers mm -hmm. and Carpenter comes in and lay layers in the Loomis stuff right which makes a lot of sense yep because Carpenter's the one with the truly deathly outlook on things like he and they say this about uh Escape from New York right where he's like again like he writes this really bleak script and Nick Castle comes in and is like, it should be funnier. Yeah, this is the best thing right. about him. Rewatching now as I've done. Like, and he's fine to collaborate on. Like yeah, a dozen yeah, right. of his movies leading up to this and just wanting to be refreshed for the series is like, I just, he just has the most horrible outlook on right. humanity. Like, there should be a character walking around being like, 
pure evil suffuses this man. And it's like, is that character depicted as crazy? It's like, actually, at the end, we prove him right. Right. He's, right. he's always he's, correct. He's spot on. And then it's, yeah. in those, these other movies, it's like, so what happens at the end? It's like, oh, all hell breaks loose. And then the credits roll. Right. I just love his nihilism. It, it is. It's totally refreshing and yeah. so not it's just not comforting and yet these movies are comfort movies for people who love horror i know we're still in the early days uh but i know of much of what's to come it is just kind of incredible how committed he is to these abrupt endings where it's just like end of story end of movie because right. he's a he's a set he's like a he's, he's like a 40s and 50s guy right. he's like, the like, howard hawks thing yeah. it's like what more is there to do we don't need a button here. right yeah right. like the story's over and i guess well, what's next with the credits like right. do we want to have the characters wrap it up no no like right there's like nothing cute that ever happens at the end of a carpenter movie it's always some note of like lingering bleakness or anger or like a final spit in the face yeah or a kind of shrug of like i don't know we're all fucked yeah whatever. that's i mean that's <laughs> the thing that's they live a little yeah, bit know. like right, you see right. it in a lot of his movies it's just so great yeah movies that don't have sequels right that it's just yeah he's just so so miserable in his outlook and but and even like not to jump ahead but the fact that he did not intend for this movie to have a sequel ever and that the ending is the body disappearing and the guy being like well yeah i mean of course it's can't kill the boogeyman well yeah like, evil, hey kids whatever. the boogeyman is still out there maybe right. he's coming to you maybe he's coming for you next yeah also because this movie has no justification for what michael myers is doing it's huge it, this does not have the sibling pursuit is one of those things i was right. saying like friday the 13th people put that in their memory yes. of this movie right but it is not in this movie that him and laurie strode are related right but it's something that you put there and at the end of the movie it's like no no there's just a boogeyman out there, there. there's a quote from carpenter here that i really love about the what we're talking about mm -hmm. that i want to read which is that when they were shooting the final shot, mm -hmm. which I love. And the, the, the yeah. shot of Pleasance's face. Yes, yes. Pleasance was like, I can give you, I knew this was going to happen. And I can give you, I can't believe this happened. Right. And Carpenter was like, well, I definitely knew that it was probably going to be, I knew this was going to happen. But he yeah. gave me both and he left the decision in my hands, which is the mark of a great actor. Mm. That's Carpenter's opinion, where he's like, Pleasance is just like a guy who's like, I'll do any, I'm an actor. Sure. I can give you any face you need. You'll you'll figure it out later, right? Yeah. Like, he's not like, no, Loomis would, would definitely only do this. Yeah. Like, he's he's a Swiss Army That's knife. a good Pleasance. Yeah. yeah I love Donald Pleasance. He's, Donald Pleasance is the fucking best. Now he's, I feel he's, bad. My impression at the beginning he's of He's one of the, the, the most prominent people for me that it's like, for 15 years i was like it's the guy from halloween yeah. and then i was like oh he was a massively famous <laughs> Blofeld, right, before. You know, right. but yeah for me just forever and ever well he's like, in so oh, he's also in so many halloweens right. as yes. well he and i did just watch become, them all yeah. and he's in what conservatively six of them well, he's not in three. He's not right? in three, so I guess he's in five. He's in one, two, four, five, and six. And then you've got McDowell, you know, giving his spin in the yeah, zombies. But he's right. not in he's up through six. He's, he's not up in through H2O. six. Six is the one where he's he's really on his last legs. Yeah. But there's something I mean, I think you said this summer if you said it on mic or you said before your recording, right. but that like his first choice was Peter Cushing and right. his second choice was Christopher Lee. Both he, obvious, obvious. He wanted horror a hammer guns, right? Yep. But aside from the baggage the associations of them. They're also guys who look like they belong in horror movies, right? Like Chris certainly Lee, by 78, they've been in horror movies absolutely. for 25 but, years. But, but you're but also, also just the face. Right, yeah. the bone structure on both of those guys, I mean, the Cushing voices looks on like both a of skeleton them. man. Right. Who, who, who's like wearing a little bit of skin just to convince you he's not a skeleton man. Right. 
<laughs> and Christopher Lee, yeah. I mean, he's got this you know, long, elegant face and these very dreamy. sort of intense eyes and whatever. Like, you put them in a horror movie, they feel like they belong. There's something about Pleasance who feels like, despite the fact that this character becomes so big for him and he does other horror movies and other Carpenter movies and whatever, that he doesn't totally feel like he belongs in this world without also feeling like, oh, shit, this is weird that Alec Guinness is in Star Wars, you know, where it's a clear, like, I am gifting you the prestige. It's instead just like, this is like a real guy. This is just like an adult man who is now caught up in this horrible thing. Also, because if Peter Cushing had been in it, when I saw it, I would have been like, that guy's in Star Wars. Whereas when I saw this, when I saw this, all I thought was, that's Dr. Loomis. Right. And and the development of this is so you know that's a whole other thing you could talk about. Well, but like Pleasance because, decides to be in the movie because his daughter liked the score for Escape from New York, mm-hmm. which is why or from uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I'm sorry, yeah. Assault on Precinct Thirteen, not right now. Uh, um, the budget for his this time movie, traveling daughter. Yeah. The, the budget for this movie was three hundred thousand dollars. He got paid twenty five thousand dollars. Pretty good. It's like well, right, and fifty percent of the budget is the cameras and the lenses. Right. And a lot of my reading, I feel like in this like independent phase of his career. It's just been really wild to just like kind of get like more a glimpse into just like how random weird rich people would just pay for these things. Sure. And it's yeah. just Talk like some weird guy. And, and like well, this and guy he read the script. Check. Like, what does he know? But he's right. like, all right, I don't know. Here's three hundred thousand dollars. Well, also, he was the the anecdote I read somewhere was that he was pitching the movie to Akkad and Akkad was filming Mustafa Akkad, one of the all time names. We'll great, get back a great we'll name. get back to him. Yeah. But, the but Akkad, message. Akkad right was doing this big epic. Yeah. And Carpenter was like, I think I could do this for three hundred thousand dollars. And Akkad like took a moment and went, the movie I'm making right now costs $300,000 a day and it is driving me crazy. (laughs) If this guy thinks he can actually get the whole thing done in that amount of time, I'm willing to take a flyer on that. It's like, Can can teenagers die in it? Yeah, okay, then you can have... Right, right. fine. And Carpenter's not even like, I have to make this movie. He's just like, I want to keep making movies. Right. This is the level someone's going to let me work at right now. Carpenter's also pitching to him as a business proposition where he's sort of, I I don't think, giving the full Alex Ross Perry manifesto, but sort of saying, here's what's been going, here's what's been working, I could work off of this, this is why I don't need many locations, why I don't need many actors, like... All this sort of stuff. And he goes like, fine. Yeah, why not? Who knows? Who cares? Like, and I think by his own admission was just sort of like, this is a flyer who gives a shit. And then once this movie hit big, he was like, I am keeping my fingers around this sure. franchise forever. I'm glad I, I didn't, always... let, glad I didn't right. let this guy own any of this stuff. <laughs> I right. just gave him no money to create. Right. And like Akkad's son is still like, I know there's still weird shit with like, it's a lot easier to make merchandise of the Halloween sequels than of the original film. But the Akkad, you know, Akkad dies in a terrorist attack. Um, but, um, um, his son is now in charge of the movies, yes. and he was the one who greenlit the zombies. Right. And then now the uh, the Gordon Greens. Right. Because the sequels had studio participation, I think he has less complete control, whereas anything that's rooted in the first movie, it's like cannot happen without a cod son giving the thumbs up. But also, these people love money. Yes, they've well, been, that's the other thing. They've been minting money like, off of this for people 40 who make years. Movies. Yeah. Right, because they're all I, fucking like NECA Toys, which is the action figure company that makes a lot of uh, horror movie stuff, has been producing like a ton of like Halloween 3, Halloween 2. And everyone's like, why can't you make Halloween 1? And they're like, Halloween 1 costs like eight times as much as Halloween I 2. I had the McFarlane Toys, Michael Myers. Merchandise Spotlight. I'll get back to that later. <laughs> I had that. But uh, everything from the, I mean, David, you know I love when you narrate a poster. 
Mm. Could you narrate the Halloween poster for me, please? Mm. Wait, and not the Halloween poster for Tyler Perry's. Uh, we'll do that later. Halloween. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that after we do the box office game the, for that uh, as well. Patreon series. Why would you give that up? <laughs> just, for just narrate free? this poster for me. Yeah, I almost did a bit though, where I was like, "We're we're not here to talk Halloween." <laughs> uh, the Halloween Once again, po- save that for Patreon. Halloween poster, very simple. A great poster. And is there a tagline on this poster? Narrate it, David. Top of the poster, Halloween. Already, I'm interested. It's a, it's a great holiday yeah. we all love. And of course, part of the pitch, of course, for this movie also was like, wait, no one's ever called a movie Halloween? I was going like, to say yeah. that sort of like I, going through the archives. I know I've called out several <laughs> horror films in this episode already as having some of the best titles of all time. Halloween might have the smartest title of all it, time. It, that and Psycho. I mean, it's hard to... Halloween's just so fucking good, though. It's just like, and it's in the font, the right. font that like you can still market a a, a movie on. Yes, yeah. Well, um, the image here below mm-hmm. the title, and I also have the titles: uh, Big H, Big N. Mm-hmm. You know, I like this sort of. Yeah, that's fun. Great. Um, a man's hand is drag. What, what, what color is the font? It's white and orange, like a jack o' lantern. Sure. Um, man's hand dragging the knife across. Right, you got this sort of four. One, two, five knife kind of like image mm. there, right? But of course, that also looks like a pumpkin. Uh huh. Mm. And then the pumpkin's got scary eyes. Uh, mm. They do. Like a jack o' lantern. Right. And then the tagline, the knight, he, now, in italics. Now, wait a minute. Wait a second. Came Who? home. <laughs> and now, wait a minute. I have, I have 10 questions. <laughs> There's no further answers. Who? Why is this in italics? Where was he? And how long has he been gone? And why was he away? And what is his home? Right away, you're just like, the mind reels yeah. with how important this sounds. Yeah. It's unbelievable it's how not, crucial these posters are to these 70s horror course. movies too. It's yeah. not like it just, the, the tagline night, is so crucial it's not the night death came to Haddonfield sure, sure. or it's, it's like not, watch out if you're a babysitter it's not it's not the night the killings happened right. he in italics who who are we talking but about this already point, this guy is the guy with the knife I mean who, already right? this is already I cannot even yes. begin to conceal my excitement for what this story might be to the point of like Myers becoming the first real modern horror icon it's like this movie's telling you like this guy is important he's the boogeyman right you know the well, you know the boogeyman it turns out he has a first and last name he's right he's actually uh, has like a social security number and shit. <laughs> it's funny Friday the 13th, I would say, bad tagline. They were warmed, they are doomed, and on Friday the 13th, nothing will save them. But that was saved by the fact that it was called Friday the 13th. That was enough, Another I guess. Another great title. Um, to carry it. Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't... Is it, isn't it not just one, two, Freddy's coming Yeah, through. isn't something like that? If Nancy doesn't wake up screaming, she won't wake up at all, okay. which I, is a great I, tagline. Actually, that's a, a great, great tagline. Um, no, well, just Texas those, Chainsaw Massacre has the superior one to all of these. Uh, well, well, who will survive and what will be left? Yes. Them? Yeah, well, great. Well, that's the thing. Like, Last House on the Left has, you know, to avoid fainting, keep repeating, it's only a movie. Right. It's only movie, which is like what those taglines where you're like, <laughs> what? What is this about? Okay, but but yeah. to your point, Alex, none of these other taglines invite the same questions as Halloween. I have so many questions. Right. And let's start talking about those questions as it pertains to the stunning prologue of this movie. I, I can't even say how many times watching this movie I thought, I have seen this ripped off 50 times. It's never been done better. I think this movie is great. I think the entire movie is great. My only complaint about it is like the prologue is like the best thing I've ever it seen. It is. It is. The movie for me is never kind of as good as the prologue, even though the rest of the movie is arguably the best of its kind ever made. It's another one of those things like Laurie being his sister that you're like, 
this one thing looms so large in yes. my mind. You watch the prologue and you're like, here we go. This is one of the greatest films yeah, ever incredible. made. And then yeah. nothing is as stylish no. as that. No, I mean, a Carpenter basically says, like, cops to the fact, like, I'm this formalist. I like Hawks. Like, it's so right. unlike that because it's this insanely showy sequence. Right. But it's, it's him doing do fucking it. Touch right. of Evil when, like, right. Orson Welles was the exact that. kind yeah. of guy he didn't like who was sort of like but putting it, too much mustard on it. It is shot. like at that yeah. point, it's like what David sort of said with like Crocodile Dundee, too. At that point you're like well this is 10 stars right this can only go down to four from here right the beginning of this movie is so good right right it yes it's unbelievable and as you said there's just like there's no explanation keeping in mind we've jumped past something extremely important which is the opening credits the opening which credits. is already it's already so 10 stars so good just yeah. the, the, a million stars just that the the the, the music the, the, but the music also and the zoom the on the pumpkin and the fonts already it's just like yeah i'm in this mood that is so unusual for everything else I've just listed of what you would have seen in this genre for the previous 10 years. It's just one of those things where it's like, I know if I were a time traveler, I should probably go stop 9-11 or whatever but it's like wouldn't it be cool David just... you were alive then you could have yeah, done that have done saying it. I could have done yeah. it just, wait, I didn't know it was gonna happen Mark Wahlberg would have done it and you're saying you wouldn't even have tried <laughs> but like imagine sitting with an audience and those titles come up and they are unprepared for yeah. the movie and they're but just like the weird atmosphere that must have been generated also just that it, the score is so fucking aggressive right where even you compare it to like Draws which is Draws Jaws There's, wait is that a southern movie about killer Candy underwear jaws. <laughs> draws i think that's going on the slate as well <laughs> you compare it to jaws Dude, you just sure. sold another great horror film right but jaws is so much more which of course has wonderful music yeah it has a wonderful this is so sequence. much like jaws the, the it uses does. music so much like but, but the, in, in the, the way that it's like the killer has a theme. signature the killer, yes. every time the killer appears you hear the killer's little song well <laughs> it's i mean the fucking genius of this movie. there's the story that like he screened this to someone some distributor and they were like no thank you not but, scary they right. said like you have to well, i'll find nothing scary about this movie um it, it's a young film exec said he hadn't made her scared at all and you need to save this film with music now carpenter says that person did later come to me and say like i was totally off by right like did apologize right, right. but right. but also but he appreciated that, the note right yeah. but also that she was like it's an amazing case study and how important a music uh the correct score is to the emotionality of a film whatever emotion you're going for yes i mean it's why the gordon green movie I would say almost is a is successful just because it uses the score. Yeah. I mean, I know he's like doing some new stuff, but like because that's still the it's scariest. It's fairly thing. simple, right? And the thing like, I don't like about the Gordon Green movie yeah. is when it goes a little too much. Where I'm like, the whole point is Carpenter I, never goes overboard. I think that movie gets a little overly complicated. Right. Carpenter is a master of like understatement and economy yes. and just keeping things as like primal and elemental as possible. But at the same time, this opening sequence is so lurid and yeah. like it must have been so gross and it's at the so time. showy the yeah. lack, the 19, lack of, like, 1963 halloween the first thing you see on screen and you're like i'm so, so far so good sure sure it's another year another day. and it's all pov it is or seems like one shot it is one shot but there's a couple no there's three cuts there's a couple okay. with the masks being taken on and off but cuts the, it there. is an unbroken yeah. illusion of time um it's either that, it's three shots two cuts i think for when the mask goes on and off um there's this uh you know it was the last thing they filmed which is which is great and i think partly because they were just like um we we don't know we gotta work we gotta to work that. on this before right. we know right. um 
and there's moments where electricians would one run from one room to the other with a light. Cool. Because they didn't have enough. Yeah. Yeah. With, with the light that they right. Exactly. And like <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis talks, who's not a part of the, like watched yeah. the whole thing happen and said like it was super exciting to watch. It's not Steadicam. It's something called Panaglide, which was like a Steadicam knockoff, mm-hmm. which is why it is less distressingly motionless than like the uh, like the shining or whatever yeah, it does have yes. a little I wrote wobble that it looks to it handheld yeah, which I like. ish right right because it, yeah because there's so much steady later it, it was less good at like a horizon you know being having a steady horizon like the steady cam is the king but mm-hmm. it's like a knockoff steady cam but it's like it, it's just unbelievable and like when he reaches for the knife and it kind of loses focus on the hand concealing the surprise that is coming it's like because you could see that's the hand of a seven year old or whatever he's supposed to be. But even just the first but the fun, moment, the reveal of his face. But I mean, well, going, that. But yeah. also, I was gonna say the first moment when you realize, oh, you were watching the POV of someone, right? It goes from being like, and I, it's easy to say this from a modern perspective, but it's like this is the kind of camera work we associate with a horror movie at this point, right? right. This totally sort of new. voyeuristic, right. weird distance, slow creep, slightly shaky, unnatural, holding on the shots for too long kind of energy. And the moment they like address him and you realize like, oh, this is now going to be a language for the rest of the movie that I no longer know when I am watching an impartial view of something that's about to happen or I'm seeing through his eyes. And that always remains scary for the entire running time. Um, that first shot I love of them kissing through the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just like sums up everything this movie's gonna be about, even the future, like even the present day stuff. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. There's nothing 60s about what these people look like. No, nothing really. Thing. That's true. No. They, they look, look hyper yeah. contemporary to late 70s. But it is just like, it's so sexual. It's like titillating and it's violent. Right. And it's ultimately like kind of weird and depressing. To but be that's re- like the pop rocks and soda thing where it's like people are like, you can't do that. Right? right. Can you have like a woman's boobs like covered in blood? Like this is so shocking. And it, and then it's like, and the boobs were being seen by like a, a boy. boy. Right. right. Who is then stabbing the boobs. He is. He's murdering Which his sister. Is yeah. no good or bad though. You don't do it. You're going to get thrown in fucking head. And the yeah. messaging too is really disturbing in a, like a lot of different ways of just like, you're trying to figure out why would he do this? Right. Why is he watching her? Right. Why, like, right. like, what are they trying to say about her? The way and she like says her Michael, relationship like, to ugh. sex. Yeah, right, like yeah, exactly. But, Michael. but they're, they're not Ugh, like it's, assholes they're so weird. to the kid. There's no, no moment. Yeah, like, you know what's great is that none of those things Ben just said are ever addressed. Right, but right. that's like, but it's Carpenter knowing that the scarier things are in your fucking mind. I mean, it's the thing I thought was so interesting that like the way he directed Nick Castle on set was Cass will be like, so what's my motivation? What do you want here? And it's like, your motivation is you start at this point, you end at this point. Don't yeah, play walk. anything. <laughs> right. The entire point is I want to make the least relatable character in the history of cinema. It is impossible to figure him out. So you're only projecting your own shit onto him because I'm not giving you anything. Right. It, it's the funniest thing because Castle is like, I did the movie because I wanted to see how movies were made. Right. Like I was more I lived in that. the neighborhood. Well, and he worked with Carpenter. He worked with Carpenter. Shot in Pasadena, despite being set in Illinois. There was many hilarious incongruities of 
what Illinois would look like versus what California looks they like. They painted a bunch of leaves brown and would cart them from location to location and spread them around. But then, like, they couldn't paint that many leaves. Right. Like, well, obviously, like, it's a save leaves. <laughs> like, all right, seeds over, get the leaves. Later, when they're like at the school, it's one of those weird California outdoor schools, yes, and you're right, like, well, right. this were in Illinois for three months of the year, it would be it, twenty degrees. It would look outside. like a John Hughes school if it were yeah. in Illinois. You but, know, but like it a big is. Building. Right. But it just doesn't matter. I didn't. Right. I never. I never for a second until I learned. Oh, the Halloween houses in Pasadena ever thought you can go see it. I bet this movie is not shot in. It's it's one of those things where like I, I fall prey to this sort of movie logic, too, where I just go like, oh, I guess I didn't know that's what houses look like in this town. Yeah. Well, it's also like you mentioned, I, like Deborah Hill, like she's from Haddonfield, New Jersey. I don't know why they say Illinois. There seems to be no logical connection. It's the to same Illinois. way that Nightmare on Elm Street is for for some reason eventually clarified to be also in the Midwest. It's sort of like right. something spooky in the Midwest is creepier, You're I just guess. just very far away from things. Right. Um, but yeah, it's great. Yeah. The prologue is great. And then it it's says... Good. It's, it's yeah, sure and good. as you said, that shot, the reveal where you go his, around... His little his face, face. And his little chair. Right. But like, you're talking about the lack of merchandise from the first movie and there's so many things like him with the sheet or the boy like in the clown costume like there's so many little morsels of iconography in only this movie there were there were like five years before Akkad Sr. died where they were licensing it out and all that shit got made and now people want it again and And the old stuff's really rare and they can't reproduce it there you go that's the thing but there was a zone where you could buy like little Michael Michael with the sheet all that shit I had a 20 inch plush Michael that when you press this chest the theme played Pretty cool. He I don't know what happened to it. He, he, he like, wasn't like, hey, it's me, Michael. Hey, Alex, you're my friend. <laughs> my spidey sense. I saved from the mental institution. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the mental institution, see, uh, sequence number two, Loomis at the hospital. This features, I think, one of the greatest shots in the history of the genre, which is all the inmates wandering around in the field so spooky. in their white robes, in the headlights, in the pouring rain. And mm. you see the look on his face and they're like, are they usually allowed out? And he's like, no. <laughs> Something is very, very wrong here. And right away, it's just like you've gone from this completely subjective, wonderful flexing of technique to this just like classic rainy night. And it says it's October 30th. So, you know, it's going to happen. The ne- Nothing's happening now. Right. And then they pull up in this rainy night at an insane asylum. And it's just like, now what's happening? Another thing is, I is like, this where he came home from? Another thing I like is that like Loomis in this is kind of like uh, Will Graham in Manhunter, where it's like this thing just permanently ruined him, right? Like it, he's got some of the Carpenter cynicism, but it's also just like this kid just kind of broke his brain, and he has spent the rest of his life being like partially a husk. Yeah, you and know? you see that in his—he plays that so well he when they pull up. He plays it so well, and, and the other movies and the remakes and the reboots yeah. all try and contextualize that more, and I don't really need it no you know what i mean it's so much more interesting to just be like he hasn't spoken a word in 15 years right. and you're thinking wow this this is a long doctor patient relationship but i mean that's why it's it's so funny because right he's a doctor that he's has a psychiatrist le- <laughs> what does he do stalks around the suburbs in a raincoat with a gun being like i gotta shoot this fucking patient but he sets that up yeah, here when they're right. like why are we transferring right. him and he goes because it's the law. Yeah, I have to. And right, you're right. already like, he wants to lock this guy but he's up. He's not like going. Michael can be saved. He's like, uh-uh. <laughs> you, no. it's, all that stuff is true. And you're forgetting he does also do funny voices when kids approach the house, which is part of his <laughs> psychiatrist. But also the <laughs> biggest thing is that like this movie, I mean, it comes out of like four or five different places that all coalesce beautifully into making this perfect diamond. Right. You're saying the production or the narrative? I'm talking production, but okay. narrative as well, right? But like production, it's like there are four or five 
five different thoughts that all come together for this movie to be this like perfect jewel. But one of the key ones is Carpenter is at a psychiatric hospital and he sees a child with like the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes, right? And he just like that sticks with him. The idea of just seeing someone where it's like there's just fucking nothing there. Like I just felt like I was looking evil in the face how does a child that young contain that you know how does that what he was doing there on this planet he was volunteering there i was trying to get an answer on this Wait, who was i carpenter oh carpenter was i don't know yeah i don't know yeah i was trying to get an answer on this uh but the, the this asylum stuff is so tense right and then they crawls over the roof of the but car that's, that's the thing is like L- everyone's going is like, sort of saying like not getting the severity of loomis and he's like you don't understand i looked at him right it's when over you look at this this is not anything like what anyone else has dealt with before um, and he's not a crackpot he's a psychiatrist right. he's, he's, a, he's, he's a doctor. calm Yes, it's right. It's in the sequels he gets crack pottier. No, here he's a measure of authority. Yes, who, right. who literally says there's no soul inside that body. He's evil. He's gone. The evil is gone. We showed up too late. The transfer. And this movie is about Michael Myers, said evil golem. He gets some coveralls. He gets a mask. He, he goes around stabbing. He people. came home. He. he does come home. But of course, it's all it's all in the sequels that he he's chasing. Um, uh, Lori for a reason. No reason here. There's no reason here. I think it's just because she drops the key off. The, yeah, there's and, no other reason. And, right, and yeah, he yeah. just sees her and then in, has in his like old house. imprinted like, woman. Right. Like, I have to get right. her. Now, it makes sense, obviously. You watch this movie and you're like, what should we do for a sequel? You're like, well, we have to explain why he was so fixated on her. Sure. But it's better that we do But he's not, know, right? he's like, not fixated enough. Think? Like, he kills a bunch of other people. Right. He does, but then he, he is he, after her People for a he good doesn't half even hour. see interact with her. Yes. Like, people who, as far as he knows, don't know her at all. They're just in the right. same They're vicinity. just in his path right. or that's, whatever. That's right. his yeah. type. But, yeah. Yeah. So like, but like then a, he does kind of, you know, by the end, you know, she's moving from house to house. And sure, but the, but the weird thing her. this movie kind of uh, starts to crystallize as a trope is the, like, virginal final girl thing, which Carpenter has always argued was totally, like, well, right. He's like, I wasn't trying to make a movie where people have sex get punished and the right. final girl's a virgin. I just made a movie. You didn't all have to rip it off. But also what's <laughs> interesting is the, the two kind of, like logic problems he's solving are why does Lori survive? Why is she the final girl? Because she's the only one who's not distracted, right? It's not that she's rewarded for being virginal. It's that all the other girls have active social lives she's also, and are having fun. How, uh, letting other yeah, yeah, people yeah. in the house can be duped. They're a little more, right, but she's also not virginal in a high and mighty way. She's no. kind of a little shy and introverted That's the versus whole point. the other it, It's a, It's an extrapolation yeah. of the fact that she's just kind of a loner. She's sort of weird. She's sort of like off in her own world she's the weird one in her friend group exactly and the other thing he said is that like it's not about her being rewarded for the fact that she hasn't had sex the whole like end point of the movie is her thrusting this giant phallic thing into his chest like it's as much about her like sexual tension inside of her building up to a boiling point but you're right as well that I mean, of course, the sex and murder is all mixed up in this movie, and right. there's the opening scene, and also later there's right, you know, the girl getting strangled while she's topless, and he's you know, that's all in there. But you're right that it's more like 
kind of that spooky, especially if you're a parent in the audience thing of like, oh my God, we're putting teenagers in charge of our children I in think our it's houses. adding another illicit it, element. Yeah, but it's also, right. it's like everything just feels so, like everyone's opening doors and just yeah. being like, you know, like, eh, just wait there for a minute, I'll be back, right? It's all too loose. Well, and th- this inherently kind of creepy concept of like, I've hired a teenager to watch after yeah. my child. Are they responsible enough? And then when you leave, they let some fucking doofus guy through but the it's door. all kind of a like it's who, that thing who, of like you know, I my mom, sign off on this dude. My yeah. mom who lived she grew up in Utica, which is a city, but you know, like a, kind what? of like the, oh, Jesus, uh, kind of like this. And it's like obviously like no one had like ever locked the door. Well, this or is anything. total like, like you know, latchkey that... kids. Set, like these kids, yeah. as the movie so totally embraces and also doesn't address. Like this is a generation of kids that don't have parents around. This is the yes. late seventies. Yeah, these kids are on their own. But like I was saying, I just want to continue to compartmentalize. Sequence three, Haddonfield, Halloween. Mm-hmm. Loomis, hospital, over, evil is gone. And then all like the introduction to Laurie Strode and Jamie Lee Curtis, who's dressed so like school marmy, very conservative compared to her friends. Like, I don't know. She could fucking be killing it right now in these clothes. Don't you oh, think? Right like now, the yeah. long I'm pants. I'm not saying the, that there's yeah. anything the highways unseemly about the way sure. she's dressed yeah. i'm saying compared to annie, no, 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 she's less right. yeah yeah she's, she's less uh, the annie and, uh, and... and linda but like this is where i think as we've all researched like the the deborah hill influence comes in mm-hmm. the sort of like laurie's sense of her character and her responsibility or forgetting her school book and throughout all of this like the music is doing so much heavy lifting because it's daytime it's mundane it's kids going to school and then you're just hearing this pulsating flexing music with these super wide shots from across the street just watching these people walk around and you're like after the prologue like you're saying griffin it's like is this someone's pov why are we across the street watching them walk around you're just on that knife set of of tension all the time right it's that thing where i just think it remains the most effective thing that horror movies can do with their camera which is personalize the camera at least even in spurts of course right it connects it to the psychology of, in this case, the villain. Right. And then ultimately kind of uses your identification with the villain to watch the heroine. Right. From afar in a way that's incredibly tense and uncomfortable. And then it just becomes like a series of opportunities for him to compose these immaculate frames of Michael's. Sorry, we need to talk about the shape, the shape. of the, the shape. shape's shoulder. Right. Just standing there with this heavy breathing on the soundtrack. Heavy breathing that <sighs> is so breathing. iconic. Yeah. It was the end credits stinger of the last Halloween movie. It was. Like, yeah. you can just put that at the end of the credits with no footage. Yeah. And people are sitting there at the theater going, that breathing. That's breathing. the good breathing. Like, it's good breathing. And the every shot of holding off on the reveal of him with his shoulder in the frame from across the street watching. It's just like... Well, like, this you're, and you're so... talking about the shot of her in the class. Yeah, right? and she looks that out the is, window. God, so iconic and scary because yeah. there's also something about being in the classroom, like in school, and knowing that that thing is just lurking outside. All the lurking, like him by the hedge, him among the laundry, right? Yeah. Then the classic horror movie thing now that I feel like horror movies now try and amp up a little with a sting or a noise yeah. of the. You see someone, you look away, the someone is pen. gone. Right. right. You know, like right. that, that's the, the kind of thing, as we as I'm saying from my long context, all new. Right. All now, but now all things that every movie I listed prior to this, you don't have any of right. that. 
there's it's just something, so it's so exciting. There's something that, about that classroom shot that, that it just holds for a weird amount of time. Yes. Like the reveal of him there, and then you're he's just lingering, and nothing oh. further's happening, and it just your blood it is boils that thing more. Where it's by like the if second. you see something <laughs> aberrant yeah. once, yes, you don't think there's anything wrong with it. You're just right. like, okay, right. That's I guess weird. It's a weird thing I saw. Right. That's weird. There's it's Halloween. There's some guy outside in a mask, and then the third and fourth and fifth time yes. you just see her performance, which is really subtle and well modulated, being it's like. Am I seeing things? What is going like it's but in the classroom when they're having this kind of very silly but very fun conversation where they're like fate never changes, you're sure. all subject to your own fate. Yeah. The kind of thing that honestly you could just echo that in the new ones. Like but, you could bring all of that back because now that's become Laurie's forty years. Story. I mean this is a boring point, but like what you're saying is like this movie has sort of flashiness to it that is not in earlier horror and now feels like so artful and quiet mm -hmm. and yes. not splashy at all. Even to pay homage to this now, you couldn't be this subtle. This is the whole thing with the Green movie. Yeah. Where you're like, he's trying his best to pay homage, but it's still a Blumhouse movie in 2018 that needs to be more elaborate. Do, do and the kills need no, to be more telling, elaborate. We were talking about this last night. Like, you have to look at now all circling back full circle to pre-Halloween. You have to look at independent, like, House of the Devil. Yeah. I, like, I was going to say, movie. That's, that's a movie the closest that, yes, it yes. is to where it's just like, it has very little money and it's just like this just creepy thing. That slowly. movie is great, but it's also going for like, you know, of this course. is like a 70s vibe. Right. Whereas it's trying to summon that. just going for efficiency. His yes, lean, right. Howard Hawks, yeah. B-Western brain efficiency of like, let's just get in, good guys, bad guys, confrontation, get out. Yeah, also, like, I mean, the the Gordon Green Halloween has, like, 15 different perspective points. That's the, yeah, it's got too many Right, it's like, it's got yeah. the podcasters, it's got the crazy doctor, it's got not, her, her not friends, that this doesn't her mom, have, her grandmother. Like, this yeah. film has an ensemble. Yes. It has supporting characters, like, you know, Linda and Annie, and, like, you know, like, it has but these... It's like you have three girls and the doctor, and, and Michael. Yeah, and then, like, you know, the, the nurse cop. has a scene, the cop has a couple scenes, right? But those right, people you know. are sharing scenes with... Yes, they are, yeah, 100%. And uh, yeah, obviously, uh, Tommy... Right. Eventually, will be played by Tom Paul Rudd in in Halloween Six, uh -huh. of course. Um, you know her her baby city, uh -huh. um, and things like that. Like the sequels are always trying to go back to this movie and be like, who haven't we like plucked? And now yes. the Kyle Richards, the girl, is in the new one. The yeah, from, Kyle Richards she's is going to be in. She's in Halloween, in Halloween Kills. Kills, playing Lindsay again, which really? is the girl who is I the hope, one who is Jamie now Lee the Curtis real is still babysitting right? her in this movie. She is now one of the real housewives. Right. Beverly and is the girl who gets shot in Assault on Precinct 13. Correct. Yeah. Um, Lindsay Wallace. Is, is she? I thought it was the plays. other Richard sister who gets oh, shot in Assault on Precinct. Oh, am I wrong about that? I think it's Kim Richards in Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, Are, it is. It are is. they both housewives? They were, yeah. They're both in the universe. <sighs> okay. Yes. Okay. And uh, But I hope she's still, I hope the, the plot of the new one is just like Laurie's babysitting her again. <laughs> Even though she's a 50-year-old woman hope so. now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Lorian is like, yeah, I'll babysit you. And she's got like a shotgun or whatever. Anyway, but, yeah. okay, can anyway. we can we just can we zoom out for a second and talk about two two fundamental things? And I don't know how much new we have to say about them, but I do feel like we have to stop. We just and have to talk say the shape as much as possible. Okay, he's called the shape. Right, Anthony Michael Hall is going to play Tommy in the new okay. in the Green movie. Okay, too, who Paul Rudd plays him in? Could Halloween they could, they couldn't get Rudd. Well, it's complicated. You also no, Halloween Kills tell... is, is ignoring Halloween right. I know, I know. But the thing is, you couldn't tell Rudd has aged at all. That would be That's a big, big true. I think the, re the, the real reason... Yeah. Where's your mom? <laughs> Brian Andrews, like, just stopped acting. I forgot... Like, the original Tommy. I forgot that... Well, I knew that it ignored 4, 5, and 6. I forgot that the 
It ignores two. I forgot that it ignores, ignores two. Everything. That's that's the that's the thing it does that's wild. That there's a Halloween sequel about Jamie Lee Curtis many years later that is very indebted to two, and then they did another one that ignores two, and they both are. What if we check in with Laurie Strode later? Well, choose your own adventure, right? And Pretty one of them's much. twenty, and one of them's forty. One's twenty, and one's forty. And they both are about trauma, but like, but but she has different traumas. And one is she's yeah. like, I have to get my brother, and the other one is like, that fucking guy came after me that one time. <laughs> uh, do you like the twenty or the forty better? I think I think the forty is probably better. I have a soft spot for the twenty. The twenty is so close to being a good movie. I always had a soft spot for it. I even had a poster for it in my basement. Great poster. And then Anna had never seen it. We watched it before It's like the new one came out. It's like minutes long. Yes. It's like one of these things where I'm like, how is this over? <laughs> the, cre- like, you had one shot. the credits come up at like 77 it's minutes. so short. It's also, I was I was like, oh, this movie's good. It's fun. We love 90s, whatever, faculty. Very screen, 90, very like, dimension. And we watched you know. it and I was like, this movie's kind of bad. It's not that good and you really want it to be good because she's good. And like Adam Arkin is in it, and he's really good. Like there are people in it who are Michelle Williams, a, but jo, didn't jo, she Josh really Hartnett. like? She wasn't she the one that got it made? Kind Jamie of, Lee, like yeah. she was the one because I feel like Carpenter and Deborah weren't involved. They're not. No. Right? For H2O, you're saying? Yeah, H2O. for two. It's yeah. also he, wild that they called it H two O. I mean, that oh, was well, the biggest mistake of all. It's, it's so it's like, not wet. It's not wet. Yeah. That's the problem. Carpenter has no real involvement between until the three and kills, yeah. right? It's three's the last one. No, until started. Halloween 2018. I'm sorry, that's right. what yes. I mean. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but three's the last of the original run that he right is after that. Sort of yeah, we uh, just can't get over that he's called the shape. I know. Well, okay, so here are three things I want to say. Oh, we've this, I thought it was two. You've added another thing because of the shape thing. Oh, okay. The the shape thing is big. I think it it ties to Carpenter's whole thing about just like the, no, there's this isn't a character, right? This is like a thing. This is a force. And that in his script, he does not use the words Michael Myers between the opening prologue and when Loomis names him at the end of the film. Okay, that he's always described as the shape because he's so, like so at that cool. point he's not Michael Myers anymore. He's the shape. The shape is some other fucking thing. Whatever existed in that kid before is gone. It's just so awesome that everyone's like the boogeyman, the boogeyman and in this on the page he's like the shape. The shape. Right. That doesn't he's, doesn't call him the boogie. It's just what a what a decision. It's not even like them calling like it would the be alien funny the, the big trap like, on set. The shape. Right. <laughs> like he wrote it as the shape, the whole thing was the shape. He's credited as the shape. It's the shape. Right? Nick Castle as you said is like I live close by. I'm friends with this guy. I've never been able to spend every day on a movie set. I want to watch the whole process. They'll pay me $10. I can do this. There are like four or five shots where it's not him, which speaks to the fact that Carpenter was like, it doesn't matter. Just have someone do a thing. Like put put the hands in and touch it. Like whatever. You know, there's no like continuity of character that's necessary here because it's like a 20 day shoot, right? Right. Yeah. Like they're, they're blazing through this. Right. Just get it done. Uh, the two things I think we need to talk about a little bit are Back the mask. Now that I got the shape thing out okay. of the way, I'm saying the mask and uh, Jamie Lee, yeah, and sort of the process of getting to those two things. Alex, do you know? Because I feel like I hear contrasting things all the time, and I don't know if it's just like she is Janet Lee's daughter. She is okay. Yes. That's C- can confirm. Yes, I do know, and that. that's pretty much why John Carpenter cast her. And then later he was like, "This is a good actress." But wait, is yeah. her father? Tony Curtis. Um, Tony, oh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, heard can, I can confirm right. all of them. It's okay. Lee okay. and Curtis, but Lee is spelled differently than her mother's Lee. Oh, God. And she's also technically Lady Hayden Guest because she's married to Christopher Guest, who is a lord. 
People right. always forget not, he that was she, a for, he's a former lord. He right. People yeah. always forget that she's just been married to Christopher Guest this the whole, whole time. time. The whole time. It's wild. The, that the the parliament said be our guest and she said yes. Uh, yes, I exactly. Think exactly. The, exactly. I didn't exactly. think you topped the oatmeal okay. thing, but okay. uh, and there's going to be a third one. Okay, all right. I don't okay. know where it is. I don't know where it's going to come from. So, but Griff, it's going to happen. Do you want to talk about the mask or what? What was the actual? Well, let's let's say Curtis first because right, like there there was the actress he wanted to hire first, who was the daughter of the woman from Lassie, mm-hmm. who um, was a young I'll find her name. actress at that point. I want to say Lockhart. Yeah, and Lockhart. Yeah, uh, he wanted her. She was busy. He learns about how Jamie Jamie Lee is. Janet Lee's daughter. That's the he whole knows thing. That would be Wouldn't that be publicity. so fucking cool to get the daughter of the woman from Psycho? Um, she, uh, you know, her mother had kept her from being in. I want to look this up because it's had had stopped her from being in. Um, fuck, what is it? Some other movie where she would have played the kid, The Exorcist. Jesus, obviously. Oh, right. wow, yeah. Um, because her mother was very protective of her. Yeah. Blah 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 blah. And this is her first movie, obviously. Right. After the first day. She was day. on TV at this point? She had done some TV pilot that didn't yeah. go and whatever. Okay. After the first day, Carpenter calls her on the phone, I think. She thinks she's about to get fired, that she's blowing it. Exactly. And says, darling, I just want to tell you how great today was. She says, it's never happened to me again. It was so nice. Like, I loved making this movie. She's always so positive about yeah. him and this movie. But also, it's like, I don't like horror movies. They're not what I like as an audience member. Right. I've never had affinity for the genre. But I also, once I got famous, did not distance myself from it and disown it. Right. She and she's obviously had a protectiveness like, of Laurie Strode, but that she does other horror movies after this. What, There's what that Scream Queen sort of flat yes. thing yeah. that kind of follows her and some of the uh, other actors. Yeah. But she doesn't brush it horror. off. And there's no one arguably who comes from horror elevates to her level and wears it as comfortable. Yeah, especially recently. Like she really is out there with the new right. ones being like, yeah, this is just my thing. Like, right. I, I've done other things. Everyone loves me from people come up to me. They say Laurie Strode or they say Freaky Friday or they say True Lies, like yeah. whatever. But I also love that, like, you know, nepotism, everyone's favorite subject on Twitter in the film industry. They like to realize that people are related to other people. Right. She has always been like, yeah, I absolutely only got cast because my mother was the one from Psycho. I understood that. That was an opportunity. That was an advantage that most people did not get. And my job was to then be as good as I could possibly be. Well, she was good. She yeah. started good and she became. I, I watched the, um, the, like, the bonus scenes filmed for the TV edit that they shot during Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. Which hint at. The uh, Which, yeah, family. By then That's they when knew they're what they were doing. But even in those thing. scenes, yeah. for obviously by Halloween too, I was watching them and I was like, "Wow, she just leveled up as talent so quickly." Well, even Fox, like in those she gives scenes, like she's... such a different performance. It's very yeah, interesting. It's, it's, she just so immediately different. just became in like a much more. Inst- she's very good in this movie. I mean, it's also but watching the scenes of the same character two years later, and I'll rewatch to closer to Halloween, I suspect. Sure. But she just got so. I was just like, "Wow, this is like it cuts from." the scene in the movie to the scene they filmed two years later and she's just doing so much more. I think not exclusively, but oftentimes the defining trait of a movie star versus like an actor, a screen actor, is like how compelling they are to watch in stillness. Well, she spends a third of this movie either alone or talking to children. Right. Which is incredible. That's most. She's of- so good with the kids too. Like also- that scene where he's yes. like, "Well, can you make popcorn? Can we ice cream?" And she's like, "Yes, yes." It was. Right. It it's was a great scene. killing me how many times they say the word popcorn in this but movie, like- and there I was watching it with none. Right. She's good with people. It's, it's, they, the kids want. So- they, she says, "You already ate popcorn," and they say, "How about some more?" It makes so much. But she's she does spend like probably from minute fifty to minute eighty 
without any other adults right. present. And she's, she is compelling to look at looking at things, which is a thing that you kind of can't like teach or develop. Uh, she also just has a fascinating face. I do think it's interesting that she's the only one who is actually a teenager in this. Mm -hmm. And in certain ways, she genuinely does read as the most mature, even though she's like 19 playing off of PJ Souls, who's like 27 and married to Dennis Quaid and like living a fucking life. And it's just like, she has a certain mature intelligence just on her fucking face. Yeah, she's great. That well, makes her a really strong, central kind of grounding force for this whole thing. Do you want to talk about the mask? Yeah, what about yeah, the mask? Yeah, so this is the question I was going to ask you. Uh, uh, well, that's, I like when he says smoking. I think that's really cool. What about when he says, somebody stop me? Yeah, uh, that's another standout line. <laughs> the thing, the thing about me. that line is nobody can. No, no that's no, what he's really pointing out. That's what's so great about yeah, it. It's a real flex. What about when he when he dances and his eyes pop out of his head? Well, right, right, well, that's right, fine. No what about when he turns to a cartoon wolf and his jaw drops and his tongue rolls out and like a red come out of his ears. Yeah, the eyes pop out. Um, my question about the mask is what if there was a son of the mask? My, <laughs> my question about the mask is, because I feel like I've heard both things. I don't know if it's just the people like whichever version of the story. Did Shatner ever make any money off oh, of Oh, I this? have no idea. No, I don't think so. And I the feel like if he did, he would say so. Right. The 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 story that uh, And this was sort of in the lowest point of his career. Yeah, the story right. that JJ found here that's really funny from Carpenter is I mean obviously the story first is uh, Tommy Lee Wallace who yeah. worked on this movie eventually makes Halloween 3 and, and and rules had a clown mask and then he's like and I got a Captain Kirk mask and I painted it white and kind of right. cut the eye holes bigger and they were like Ooh, that thing is fucked. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, but that Carpenter walked up to Shatner at a convention once and was like, "Hi, I'm John Carpenter," and he says he was on his cell phone and didn't look up. Wow. <laughs> Give a shit. Wow. <laughs> but um, it is fascinating. I, mean, I just remember as a kid for the first time learning that fact, and then once you know it, even though like Michael Myers exists as his own distinct entity, you can't. Once you know, it, you can't stop seeing the Shatner well, face in it. I want to ask your opinion on this, Alex. Yeah. They've never gotten the mask right again. It's, and it's weird. weird. And sometimes the mask is so yeah. bad that you're like, this is like like Halloween 5 or whatever. I'm like, this is Halloween 5. The mask is the only thing you have it, to it, nail. It, it is wild. In like and it's four, like ill-fitting. In like I'm 4 like, and 5, it has no texture. It's and like so the hair gets really wonky. Yes. And the other controversial thing is the ebb and flow of the eyes. Yeah. Especially in mm. H2O where it's all eyes, where you can see the actual eyeballs inside the mask. But then H2 also has a couple scenes where it's like an, a CGI mask, right? Like, doesn't the design they change? Well, no, you're thinking, you're thinking of Son of the Mask. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's just so strange because obviously Jason... It's a hockey mask. Sure. It, it does changes. change. It changes. Sometimes there's different like colors on it and stuff. But sometimes you know, it's blue. Sometimes blue, sometimes red, but some you know it's pretty easy. The basic silhouette of the thing remains vaguely the same. Leatherface's right, right. mask, they they keep that consistent through the Freddy uh, basically looks the same, except in two when he looks really different and it's weird. Yeah, it evolves and devolves, but sometimes it's all this from mask the same basic, looks so right. smooth and just like it just looks dumb right. and kind of weak. It's just whereas a this looks how th damn good this, looks this movie creepy. is. That yeah. this looks so good, and with more money, they never get this right. Yeah, they, they got, got it right in the green movie. I didn't love how he looked. It's okay. It, they do a little too much. That's an example of like in this movie, they go to the the five and dime and they paint a Halloween mask. Right. In the David Gordon Green movie, they probably spend ten thousand dollars on mold right. and this fabrication. Is, it's fascinating. And to you, me. you you you. 
in the cheaper sequels, you underthink it. In the $20 million Blumhouse movie, you, you overthink, overthink it. it. Yeah. And this one is just like, like I said, many things in this movie, all oft imitated, never improved upon. I also think you also don't it. get that close to it in this sure. movie. I believe I will say, I believe for the you know, there's always stories where they're like, we found the original mask and we made a mold of it's, it, right? It's like, a classic Maltese Falcon. Right. Just, oh, exactly. But it's like it's the magic of movies is yes. best summarized by that, yes. right? Where it's like these fuckers just spray painted a mask and it's the most iconic image ever right. and no one can figure out right. how to and replicate it. And just it. they cut the holes too big or yeah, too small. Yeah, they cut them a little bigger. Always, right, yeah, right. you know, it's like... But I'm, I, look, I, I'm, looking at this, I'm looking at pictures here of him in Halloween 4 and in H2O where you can see his eyes and it's just so pitiful. I, I don't like it. I, I also think there's something too like oh god it's so fucking bad and he looks like there's something he's got like a sad expression he does frowny like oh he my looks kind of dopey yeah oh boy there's and something he's blonde, which too hate. right you have the weird poutiness of Shatner to begin with right once you know it's Shatner you can never unsee the Shatner lips bit, in particular bit. the lips right the mouth face. but then there's also mouth this shape. thing of like. They don't really make masks like this today for Halloween costumes where it's like if you're a kid and you're dressing up as Captain Kirk, you get the fucking uniform and a wig. You don't wear a mask that's replicating this adult man's face, right? They mostly sell masks for characters who have faces that cannot be replicated with like, you know, grease paint or whatever. And I, I do find that when you do see masks like rubber overhead masks like this that are replicating human faces, they're usually caricatured. You know, you're seeing like your like absurd Donald right, Trump masks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Whereas right. there's something weird about like this being like the Don Post company trying to as realistically as possible capture the flesh of William Shatner. It's such a weird Just image. A slight, there's like an What's image I found one? here of all nine different designs across all the yeah. movies. And it's just so they're wild. so bad. Some of them look so feeble. But there's like, some of them have really intense eyebrows. Like eyebrows painted onto the mask. Yep. <sighs> there's just a weird amount of detail in trying to capture a very neutral expression, which in and of itself is odd. And there's like the one cheek that is more defined than the other, <laughs> that sort of line in there. Like all this shit that's just odd, where it's like that's an odd product. When you look at the unpainted mask as it existed, it's odd. It's weird that it has real hair. Like, everything about it is strange. Um, it's great. It's great. We talked about it. Right. It's incredible. Yeah. Much like the the sort of eerily empty streets and the overabundance of music, but perfect music. It's it just, just this exercise in, in minimalism yeah. and cost efficiency yeah. that inexplicably in this movie hit the, hit the bullseye. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to just briefly talk about the what I wrote down as the sequence where Loomis says he's on his way. Um I love when he, he just him commandeering the truck and killing the person. I love the clothesline. The, the, the speed at which he disappears from the clothesline is the point where it's like, you almost start to wonder, is this literal or is this now? Is she seeing him to such an extent that it's starting to affect her mind? Is she thinks sure, she's, she's seeing, imagining because seeing him just everywhere. Bent, it's like right. clothesline, one, two seconds, looks back not a trace and he doesn't move that it's just you start to wonder how much of this is affecting her psychologically okay so this is exciting i want to just really quickly i just want to ask because i feel like you've you've seen this a ton david you've seen this a ton sure. uh, griff as well mm. do any I, of you i've not you, seen this many times okay okay yeah. do any of you have you ever noticed the poster in her room i noticed it yesterday and i uh what it, it's um it's a cat, right? 
It is there's, not. There's a so cat it's in one a of the man, room. There's a, a cat in one of the rooms she's babysitting. Uh, oh. In one of the, whatever. And of course, she watches the original thing with her. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. they watch the thing. They do. Yeah, they do. And we check back in on how that movie's playing out. Um, it's a man with like a hat. It's like a painting, but a poster. And it says, James Enser. Oh, never, yeah, yeah. I never like knew this before. I looked it up. Yeah, it's I like my that. favorite fucking painter of all time. He is... Um, He's a Belgian painter. He apparently had a lot of influence on expressionism and surrealism, like kind of like an early practitioner. And he is just a fucking dang ass freak. Okay? A lot of masks, a lot of skulls. A lot of fucking skulls. Yeah. Mm. But like people like kind of dressed up in fancy clothes, but they're wearing skulls. Just like this really completely outsider art almost, but in a, but at the same time he has training and like comes from money but like seems like was a fucking crazy person so he gets mm-hmm. the official DAF qualification absolutely okay so I just feel like that was a fun little easter egg that I sure. noticed for the first time and was very excited by um, so I recommend people I check James out Enser E-N-S-O-R okay. um, Ben what do you think of when they reveal that he's dug up the grave are you a fan of grave robbing absolutely yeah yeah like, knocking over headstones or stealing them well i i would say uh i don't it's not cool to knock over a tombstone you know what if it's your family like like it is here what do you mean well he steals his sisters right right he right, steals right judas headstone uh then i sign off on it okay you know yeah yeah it is one Keep of those it, in the it is one of those like lingering things of ickiness in this movie that that is never the, the headstone is seen but the dug up grave is never yeah. addressed. Right. You don't again. you don't see the body or anything never. like that. Right. Nor do you know what has happened. The headstone is his most elaborate whatever. Yeah. I was gonna say bit, but it's beyond a bit, really. It's also kind of like, what's the person that she's like, huh? Like or not 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 a who who is it who sees the babysitter with the Judith headstone? Is it Lori? Right. It's, yeah, it's, Lori. Right. it's when yeah. everyone else has been killed and put but in the like, But room. like she's like, is she like who the fuck is Judith? Right, like Judith. Myers well, that's what they're saying. The, because yeah. everyone's like, "That's the house. That's the murder." Like, yeah, so and as Carpenter has famous. said, like every town has one of those they houses. Do. Yep. So especially have, small towns. You have to imagine it's only been fifteen years. They know we had a hole in our town, but continue. Sorry. Yes, that's the hole where that's, that's where the, the mayor was. Where the where the world <laughs> opened up and people were sucked into it. <laughs> no, and we just, you got a problem? Come to the hole uh, there. <laughs> but it, yeah, it, 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 I, I do love him coming to town. Killing the mechanic along the way. Not that you need to explain where he gets. And this is now like something that in a new movie they'd be like, really got to explain where he gets the jumpsuit. Yeah, we need, we need a jumpsuit set piece yeah. or but whatever. But like, right. it's just nice that they find the dead the, body. The, but the new one literally does do that, right? It's like yes. he kills a guy at a gas station. So and then, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, the jumpsuit in his underwear. It's supposed to be a moment where yeah. right. it's like, yeah. And it was at my screening. It certainly was. It's yeah. very, yes. Now it's all become like Terminator 2 where you have to explain where they get the cool clothes. Right. But I just like this sort of sequence where Loomis is on the trail and he finds the dead body and he finds the dug up grave. And then he's just like, I know he's going home. That's that's it. I know. Gotta now. load my six shooter. I, I just love that Loomis, like his pulse never quickens. It's just kind of like I knew this day was coming from the moment I saw that this existed on this plane. I knew my life would be committed to trying to mitigate the damage of this soul. At this point, this is where I was just blown away because now there's the the music right now is just going wild. And then it just basically cuts to darkness. And it just goes from daytime to nighttime when the babysit when everyone has sort of made their plans for the babysitting with all the business of I'll come here, you'll come there, you'll let me in. And then it's just suddenly like you see taillights and the music gets a little bit more menacing. 
And now it's just nighttime and the breathing starts again. We should also mention, right, Michael does spend a lot of this movie driving around in a station wagon. Which is like a big point of contention amongst fans of how he learned how to drive and Of course when. it is, yes. Right. Well, they mention that in the movie. Right. They say... He can't drive. And Loomis goes, he was doing a good job of it yesterday. But hasn't like a different sequels offer different explanations to try to like. Like they let him out for driving lessons. <laughs> right. <laughs> or I, just was, I, was, I went on some rabbit hole of like the driving. He already question. knew how to drive when People he was seven. Because or, his dad was an alcoholic. That right. Sort of or, or that like there was uh, maybe it's in like a novelization or something. Someone was saying that like they like explained that in the van when they drove him to the institution in the first place there was a, a plexiglass partition so he could watch yes, I, that, that sounds the familiar. driving and study it's, it it's you know what really not that hard to drive I it, mean it, anyone that, well, that, right, hey, fucking hey. do it what not oh, anyone right. can. The real know. argument is right. If you put someone behind the wheel of the car, they might know how the basic mechanism is supposed to work. But Don't yes, test the, me on that. the novelization explains what you're talking about. Yeah, Just right, that right. He watched Dr. Loomis drive. Right, which is whatever. like, once again, more info than I Who I'm, cares? So wait, are you like, a, I think you should leave, guys, season two? I, I have never related to I anything. Tables! <laughs> I never saw the movie as a young person and was like, how can Michael drive? Right. No. It was just like, well, I don't know. I think he can drive. He's scary. Yes. He's supernatural. He has I think scary anyone powers. who can drive a car has magical powers, either <laughs> from heaven or hell. But you know what else he does that really blew on his mind last night? Uh, is he eats a dog. What? You, none of you catch this? Well, and look this up. This is There's a Halloween Wikipedia about the dog. He that kills he the dog. And right. he has eaten him. I do think this comes up in, in Gloria They arrive at the Myers house, and Loomis is there with Sheriff Lee Brackett, and they're like, What's up with that dog? And he goes, he must have gotten hungry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. right. And you look that's it up on Halloween name. Wiki. It's called like Val's dog or something. Wow. Kills the mechanic, kills this dog. When he gets to town, he goes to his old house, kills a dog, eats the dog. And Anna was like, wait, what? And it's just that kind of detail. Like, can you imagine that being in the new movie? In like um... a... 3,000 screen Halloween $20 million release where they're like, what's up with that dog? And they say, oh, well, Michael Myers ate him. He's hungry. Basically, what happens here to me is like a breathlessly efficient series of parallel action where the kids are split up in a geography that basically makes no sense. Where it's like she's doing laundry, but the laundry is like in another house. Well, I was trying to figure that out, right? It's like she definitely locks herself in the laundry. I guess it maybe is like a shed or a garage or something. It's like a guest house where the laundry, which makes absolutely no sense. But regardless, the parallel action of Annie and Laurie split up while babysitting. And the only thing you're ever using to bridge the two houses is this vast empty desert in between them it's halloween night it can't be that late because they say early on we're going to make these plans to meet up at 6 30 and then it gets dark and then within five minutes of the movie there it is abandoned there's not a single trick-or-treater there's not Mm. a single they don't right they don't have it is very eerie how few people there are now this is obviously a budgetary thing it's also incredibly unsettling and odd how often they look across the street at these houses and it seems like it is three in the morning whereas it must probably be like eight, eight at night or whatever and like they're the, watching the, the parents thing. aren't even home no. from whatever they're out doing they're watching right. the thing which is 80 minutes long sure and time passes and then the world is just empty except for these six people and the amount of parallel action of going between annie who's then killed in the car and laurie who doesn't know that the kid she's you know she's watching the kid for annie while annie does whatever cleans the butter off of her shirt it is, you're all just going from place to place. And for this whole period, it's so quotidian what's happening. It's so quotidian. And then occasionally there's just a shot of essentially a tumbleweed blowing down the street with 
piercing synth music. Yeah. And every time that happens, you're just like, it's a POV shot and you're like, oh, this is bad. He's out there. He's just going from house to house. He's looming. And then there's the, there's the really wide shot of him carrying the body into the house. There's all these great tableaus in this, these very eerie... And the way he walks is so effective. We sort of talked about it. This already, is when Loomis but... is outside the house, flapping his arms and doing the voice and saying, kids, keep away. I do, I do enjoy Loomis's theatricality, yes. Uh, with the carrying of the body, that always freaked me out, especially because the shot just feels so like you would look outside your own house and look across the street and just witness some horrific thing that sure. just is happening. Like, And, and then what do you do? Right, what are you going right. to do exactly? But then like right around here, which is when Bob and Linda are fooling around before Bob gets killed and his glasses get taken they sure do there's like easily 10 minutes where there's no music which after the prominence of the music mm-hmm. is so equally unsettling yeah. it's like damned if you do damned if you don't right. and yeah. at this point it's just like it's just great they're just going about their business but this is where i made a note that i thought was kind of amazing i never thought this about this movie before but now i'm thinking it about a lot of carpenter movies which is you know the hitchcock principle that establishing shots are inherently uncinematic and therefore you shouldn't use them how Hitchcock would hmm. say, yes, he like, hates establishing shots. Right. Yeah. If you're setting a scene inside Ben's apartment, you can't start the scene with just a shot of the outside of the building. That scene has no cinema to it. Right. What mm-hmm. does that shot tell you? This movie flips. This movie solves that. Every establishing shot of the house, because you're really just in these two houses. Every establishing shot is a cinematic moment that moves the story forward, increases the tension, plays the music, and it completely fixes. Hitchcock's problem with establishing shots by making each one the same shot over and over. But like super foreboding. Uniquely horrible and foreboding. And it is in the fabric of the movie. It's not just like we're in this house and now we're in that house. And now just to remind you, we're back in this house. It's like, this is not an establishing shot. This is Michael watching Mm. the shot. You know how you know it's Michael? Because you're hearing his, his horrible little Jaws theme. And I was very taken with how well those establishing shots are deployed this time. I'd never really locked in on it before. I love that. Then Bob and Linda have some sex. They sure do. Fast sex. Yeah, I I mean, mean, Bob, I don't want to shame anyone, but I I don't think Bob's doing a great job. Yeah, and he's kind of like, oh, yeah. And she's sort of trying to be like, yeah. Yeah. It kind of feels like she's Go get me a fucking beer. Yeah. (laughs) She's sort of like, good job, Bob. (laughs) Well, unfortunately for Bob, he doesn't come back. And it's a, a the per my, to me the perfect jump scare where it's not that complicated. It's kind of like the, I mean obviously the greatest jump scare ever, which is Leatherface pulling the guy, you know, whacking the guy in the head and pulling the girl, pulling, yeah, it's a girl. girl. No, 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 the guy. No, it's a girl. Wait, no, 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 the guy coming in, Leatherface hitting him in the head and then pulling the door shut. That's not that's a, that's a guy. Wait, now I'm gonna look up the scene. I'm trying to picture it. I thought you were gonna say the greatest jump scare is boom, a pipe flies through the window. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> I mean, look, I don't know why. I don't know why I did this to myself. Yep. I didn't have to say it. You will rue the There's day. no. See, yeah, the girl comes in. Yeah, it's the guy. The guy comes in. Oh, okay. And then Leatherface just walks out. Okay, okay. And you're like, what? And he's waxing him, closes sure, the door. Sure, sure. And you're like, whoa. And it's the same when Michael comes out. I stand corrected, yes. Um, just comes out of the yeah. door, you know, right. and then simply stabs him and that's but that. But then, then yeah. it's not that's that because then he stands there for like 10 well, seconds. And, and looks this, at him. Oh, it's so good. That's the kind uh, of moment that a movie tilt, can't yeah. really pull off anymore. The, the, the tilting of the head. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the kind of thing that every sequel and reboot and everything has tried to make a shot that just 
completely disturbing that has no re- it's just a simple faraway shot and it is so creepy just to see him standing there looking at what he has done but there's also and way. thinking how can i get those glasses over a sheet <laughs> when other movies replicate this right other halloween movies mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. feels like they're making him more menacing it's whereas for this it's like is he an innocent yeah, like does he, he understand an- anything it's the problem with the sequelizing is they turn them into these legends and then it's like, right, what is Michael thinking? Right, once you're doing that, you're in trouble. He's he's on animal instinct here. That's why he kills and eats an animal. But from the time that that Bob and Linda are dead after this, this is is what I was saying. This is a huge period where there's no dialogue. Mm -hmm. And, and, And Laurie, Jamie Lee is completely isolated from everyone else. The kids are asleep. And this begins like a 20-minute sequence where she's interacting with nobody. And the movie hasn't had that much dialogue anyway. But now it has none. And she's completely isolated. Everyone's dead. She doesn't know this. And she's just like looking out the window and goes to the other house. And then there's a cue here that's the first time in a long time that there's a different piece of music, which is very interesting at this point in the movie. Okay, and then right. she finds slightly the different. Cue, then, right. then, then she finds the gravestone. Everyone right. dead, crammed into the room. Because she hears the murder on the phone, but she thinks it's just a yes. joke or whatever, or or maybe some 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 hanky panky, some hot hanky panky. <laughs> um, but she, it's 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 strange enough to pique her interest, and right. And then we're then. But, I mean, but also to Griffin's point again, I just want to keep pointing these things out. Like him, as we talked about with the sheet and the glasses, that's another like that's a piece of iconography of this yes, movie. Yes. You could put it on a figure or yeah. on a shirt, and everyone would be like, "I love that moment right. as much as I love the little boy in the clown suit." Right. That like the Bob ghost disguise is iconic in its own way, separate from the iconography of Michael Myers. Yes. In the same way that little boy clown Michael Myers yes. is also separately iconic, not as a variation of. But once she goes into the other house and finds everybody, as we were talking about, it's now just basically just a chase. It's just, well, right. It's just him chasing her from house to house. I mean, mm-hmm. I, the moment I love the most, as I mentioned, is her banging on the door. The light's coming on, but no help coming. I love that so much. Totally. Because it's so unspoken. But this is like, to Griffin's point of like his preference of horror, this is where the movie is playing by silent film horror rules. Mm-hmm. Because... From the time that the kids are asleep and all the other teenagers are dead, there's nobody for her to talk to. And right. everything that happens right. here could just be a silent right. horror blocking. It's just somebody being pursued by someone else. Right. The it's, camera it's moving Nosferatu. perfectly. It's, it's faces like, reacting right. and it's it, wonderful music. Right. It's a for disturbing 20, figure slowly coming out of the shadows and the person not. It's for 20 minutes. Yeah. It's not until Tommy yeah. wakes up and Loomis shows back up that we snap out of what is basically just pure cinema. Pure. And Tommy waking up, it's just, she just has that brief moment where she thinks she got him. And yeah. Tommy yeah. knows you can't kill the boogeyman. Uh-uh. She stabs him in the neck with a knitting needle. Mm-hmm. She sure does. She hides in the closet. I remember seeing this as a teenager and going, why can't he get through those like plywood closet doors? Tommy yeah. Wallace plays Michael Myers in that scene right. because he had designed the closet and knew how to take it apart. Uh-huh. Literally, in that one scene. It's also just He's wild. He's trying very hard to get through what looks like a wicker door. It's true. It takes him a while. There's like seven minutes left in the movie at this point. Is one of those things, just speaking about Carpenter knowing to like get out while the getting's good, right? Yeah. Where you're just like any other movie, even if you are to believe that this is the final stretch of, of our hero fighting our, our villain... 
you're still like, what, 20 minutes of wrap up and then 10 minutes of credit. And you're like seven minutes all in until the disc stops. Right. Until, right. Point. Until MPAA logo rolls. Right. right. Like yeah. kind of just remarkable. Yep. Yeah. It is, but it is great. Like it, it's just, it's escalated. It's become kind of the silent sequence. And now she's doing this kind of thematically nice thing of protecting the children. Mm-hmm. Loomis fires off the shots. This is when the mask gets lifted up, which Anna thinks is a very interesting, potentially controversial moment. I, feel I like love that moment. It's I so love crucial it too. To me. It's not that she didn't like it. It's just it's very curious if you know the sequels, how much that would even in the new one where you right. never you frame him from behind or in the Rob Zombie. Ones. I know which. I, well, Rob Zombie has a lot of. That's where it became controversial. I feel like people were very, very dissatisfied with his treatment of. Michael Myers overall, really. I really like those movies, but they're just completely different. You just have to think of them as like of really, course. you know, the first one is a little more trying to be a remake, I guess. Yeah. And I never the saw se- the second one. The second one I know is people like it. Up your alley. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why I never did. I mean, it's just it's just an incredibly it's one of the most depressing movies I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, I've always wanted to. You know, where it's like, what would the psychology of Michael Myers be like? Rather than John Carpenter, who's like, this is an unknowable evil. He's like, no, 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 no. These are circumstances Americans grow up in. Let's delve in. Yeah, like, I should watch it. You know, he's going in the entire other Maybe direction. Maybe this, this October I'll watch both Halloween 2s. Uh, mm. This is a question for you guys. Okay. So the mask off moment. I'm I'm not as deep in the weeds in the Halloween franchise, obviously, yes. as you guys uh, what's are. What's his? Sorry, Tony Marin plays him in that moment. Plays his face essentially, uh, and and of course you see his eye has been wounded. Well, that was uh, that was my question. Okay, I guess. What's is, your question? I read something with Carpenter where he was saying like it's it's sort of this interesting case in like the power of suggestion in cinema that I'll talk to people about how like disturbing it is when you see Michael's face in the first movie and how disfigured he is. And I think to some degree it's people combining it with like Jason Voorhees and whatever. Always Mandela effect with these things. Right. But he's like, when you look at him, his face is actually totally normal, except you see the damage of the stab. Exactly. It's supposed to be the, the hanger, her second attack has has messed with his eye. Right. But there's something to a, I think the weird expression he has on at the moment it's such a good expression that's sort of again kind of contemplative sort of thing where right. he's like what his his expression is weird and then also i think the limitations of the budget sure the makeup on the damage of the eye from the hanger gives him this vaguely like for this split second you're seeing him quasimodo-ish vibe a little bit but right, right, right. this is another as i was saying this is another vhs thing right where for 20 years people watching this movie if they tried to pause it you just can't figure it you out you couldn't get right. a clear look right. at it and much like as i mentioned earlier as we should just mention like when this movie was broadcast on tv he shot 10 more minutes of scenes while they were filming halloween right. 2 which features a scene where loomis is in the asylum with boy michael and i must have seen that because i always thought that was in the movie hmm. right i must have maybe that was on this sci-fi marathon i saw or somewhere Might have been. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. i always was like and of course that happens and you see the boy sure. And and you don't, of course, in the actual movie. And this is one of those things where it's like, yeah, and of course, his face is all deformed and it's not. And of right. course, they're brother and sister, which they're not. And then I just love it. He, Loomis shoots him. Tommy says, was that the boogeyman? He says, matter of fact, it was. Cue the theme. 89 minutes. Yeah. Revisit locations, Myers House. The re- I love the revisit the the, the staircase, yes. the house. Like I love all that. That's yeah, such that a perfect capper. Yeah, that stuff is great. Um, I love that. Lori sobbing, obviously. Yes, she's upset. 
he's gone. He's gone. It's, he's gone, and it's 89 minutes, and the theme is just wailing, and then the credits just. But start. it's also like he could be anywhere. Like he's I gone. feel right, but it, but it's like could well, he could be right behind you. Right. Wait it's incredible. Wait a he's not Wait, right behind me, is he? <laughs> you look at the reviews of this movie when it came out, and people were like really dismissive of it in a way that's kind of astonishing, where they're like, well, he's just using all the old tricks in the book. Like, especially for all the context you're setting up about how much this movie is like a manifestation of all these things that have piecemeal been building up in horror, and everyone's like, yep, it's another one of these. It's the, not to speak ill of critics, but right, the sort of thing like, well, this doesn't scare me. I, I know I know from tropes. <laughs> like, like, you won't get me. No, this like, has not been synthesized before in this way, and I and Siskel and Ebert, to their credit, were two of the only people of prominence at the time e- who Ebert were just like, raved it. right? They were like, "This thing's so fucking scary." <laughs> right. What are He's, you talking about? Yes, exactly. And the, the anecdote he told, I thought, was so good. Was he was like, "We walked out of the screening, and Gene was so scared that he took a cab home, and the theater was two blocks from his home." <laughs> That's the review of the movie. The review of the movie is it worked that well, and then I got home and I got in the shower and I was so scared shitless. I kept on checking the fucking curtain every other minute two thumbs up go see it if you like scary movies David, you need to write a review can, like that you can look i should write more reviews about how i felt in the shower after yeah. i am i'm writing this review from a secluded location that i have moved to because i am too frightened to continue living my life <laughs> what if i just became right the most over the top yes film but that's what i'm saying like yes they loved it and this is a wonderful response but the the canonization of these kinds of movies does not right. happen in the mainstream. Correct. It takes thousands and millions of fans owning that tape and loving this film for decades for everybody to be like, you can't argue with it. It's an odd, as Anna said, a very weird dreamlike movie that Mm -hmm. kind of has these strange periods of people doing laundry that don't have anything to do with anything and are inherently not scary, except it has this great music and it's like, it's not tight as a drum. It's Mm -hmm. 89 minutes. So it's a tight movie, but it's not that the script, it's not like the thing where every single scene is perfectly functioning to move the plot forward. Sure, It's tight as a drum in its shape, pun intended, mm. but it's not like, oh, there's not a wasted minute in that movie. There's yeah. tons of stuff in this movie, but it's all mm. character. Right. It's character of Laurie being alone, and it's the sense of this town with this creepy murder house on the block and a town that has no one else in it, and all of the sort of faults, such as they are, ultimately become strengths over time. Well, yeah, and all the happy accents of this movie. I mean, what's uh, the producer's name? Yablanis? Uh, wait, the producer of this movie? Yes. The one who's not a cod. Right. Um, well, who sort Deborah of comes to Carpenter is Yablans. like oh, oh, yes, yeah, Yablans, like, yeah, yeah, who, right? Who comes to Carpenter with like he's like babysitter murder, right. Right, right? And like that's supposed Irwin to be Yablans, the title, yes. right? It's another great name. Babysitter Carpenter murders, had yes. years earlier reached out to Bob Clark and was like, "You should do a Black Christmas sequel." And he's like, "I don't want to do horror movies anymore. I'd like to make baby geniuses." To which I go, "Sounds like you're still in the horror business," <laughs> but. Um, that he goes to Bob Clark and he's like, "Would you let me write one?" And he's like, "No." And he sort of pitched what he thought it would be, right? Which was like he returns a year later, so that's like part of it. There's the Yablans part of it, right? There's him Compass exp- International Pictures. He, sure, he co-finances, right? There's him experiencing the kid at the psychiatric hospital, right? Like all these pieces come together. He's able to pitch this to a cut and go, "Like this is simple. This is cheap." And then they realize at some point in the timeline, oh. We like this originally been planned as a movie, or at least vaguely conceptualized as a movie that would take place over multiple nights. We don't have the budget for that, 
So now it has to be one night because that saves well, us. It's the night he came home. That's true. Right. It is the night he came. But home. the idea that like, it used to be the nights he came home. Halloween. The fact that the movie is Halloween is reverse engineered from. We can't afford three nights. Let's make it one night. If it's one night, it should be the scariest night. The scariest night is Halloween. If it takes place on Halloween, we should call the movie Halloween. And then we can like the release it around Halloween. Right. And then we can release it every Halloween. But like know. all the weird stuff. And then, then we can make a franchise that's just called Halloween with other stuff that happened. Wait, right. wait, wait, where are you guys? Wait, where are you guys? <laughs> wait, you, know, you guys aren't into this. You know, all you, the right. weird like backpedaling into this, you know, of yeah. just no, like, no, well, sure. we should but find a scary, a scary clown mask. But what if as a weird backup off? option just as an alt we spray paint it's just uh, all these things worked out yeah everything it's, it's, worked it's out. just what i'm talking about of like the the improbable backwards canonization of things yes. like you could never have convinced people in the 90s that there would be in a new halloween a shot in the trailer of silver shamrock masks from halloween 3 season of the witch and horror people are like Oh my God! They're bringing in the silver shamrock mask. This is amazing. Yeah. Right. At a time where people were like, "Oh, everyone knows Halloween three sucks. Doesn't have Michael Myers in it. You don't need to watch it." And now everyone's like, well, "That movie's incredible. canonical masterpiece. People like, love it. Yeah, it's right. about druid chips and Halloween masks. It's it sure fucking is. insane. It's very anti-Irish. Everybody, <laughs> everybody loves it. And we're going to drop an Easter egg into the marketing, and people are going to lose their minds because this thing has gone from an irrelevant failure that the franchise had to rewrite to now the second legacy sequel which is yeah. rewriting the franchise again but we want silver shamrock i mean i've talked about it before though but the general thing of they do a sequel to this movie then they do another movie that's not connected and then they're like okay forget it we'll do a sequel to two and then a sequel to four and then a sequel to five and they're like okay no let's do another sequel to two so <laughs> forget forget all that yeah right and then they're like okay we'll do a sequel to seven we'll kill off laurie strode that's a good idea right right kill her off in like 10 minutes right, but most that of the movie movies about buster rhymes like halloween three two it's halloween resurrection is halloween three two sure that's a right. good way to put it and then they're like uh, forget all that we'll do a reboot halloween one again and we'll do a sequel to the we'll do a sequel but to the reboot in the sequel, and then they're like no, no no let's make a sequel to one we never did that before this is now okay, halloween did, two but three but then in the <laughs> sequel to one so it's now halloween, no, it's halloween two two is what halloween it is two, two we're going to tip our hat to right. halloween three season of the witch because fans love it sure. and it's gone from something that the franchise had to immediately be like no 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 forget about that to like well you have to acknowledge so which way kills is halloween two 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 right in a way so i'm just realizing <laughs> halloween- it's, it's the Second movie that was that was the second try at a right. second Halloween movie. So Halloween Resurrection is Halloween three two two. Halloween Resurrection is Halloween three two two. two. Sure, we kind of. Because yes, you're saying yeah. Halloween H two O is Halloween. It's Halloween three. My girlfriend in okay, the other enough, room right enough. now no, is but, literally like, "What the no, no, fuck no, are Griffin, these you're guys right. talking about?" It, like Halloween, Halloween H two O is well, she, Halloween three. She probably just can't hear us. Well edition, enough. right? Well, Whereas, like yeah, Halloween four sure. is Halloween three. First I hope edition, not. Right, if that makes sense. How, and this is the and sequel, I don't even know how we talk about the actual right, Halloween three. Halloween Resurrection is the sequel to the second iteration of the third Halloween movie. And then David Gordon Green comes in and is like, "No, no, no." I'm doing yeah. a sequel to Halloween. Well, we already did that. Not this way. Right. We that's two, two. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I want to just say one final thing about John Carpenter. Yeah. Because he has I've nice talked, long white hair. He's just a cool looking guy. He's cool. looking guy. Is that I've talked about him so much in this big theory that I came up with that he is kind of one of the most definitive filmmakers of the VHS era. And I don't know if you guys, I, I unfortunately saw your icon yesterday of your schedule. So I know you're covering uh, some, somebody's watching me. Mm-hmm. But you're not Which co- is before this and it's important. Yeah. But you're not covering cigarette burns. 
We look, look. Okay, let, let me, me just let me just say this. Let me just say this. We don't know what we're doing we don't about know yet. those okay. things we, yet. We we plan the Patreon uh, more short term than main feed, and so body bags, cigarette burns, those sorts of things. We just haven't decided Pro- yet. Pro let me life just say is the other one, right? Yes. Yeah. Let me just say, I was working at Kim's video when Masters of Horror started coming out on DVD. Mm-hmm. I cannot overstate the cultural impact in the cult and DVD collecting community. The Carpenter is back. These things are pretty fucking good. Mm-hmm. His Masters of Horror episode. There were, I remember, I tried to find footage of this. I couldn't find it. People came into the store and they were like, you guys have cigarette burns? Sold out everywhere. And we were like, yes, we have 500 copies. And they yeah. were like, people were lining up at Best Buy before they opened. It was on the news. The news was there. Cover like I was like, what? And they were like, yeah. People had because no one had Showtime, and there was no TV. Didn't work in the same way. So if you missed Masters of Horror, it's like, well, seven months from now, we'll release the episodes two at a time on individual DVDs. Yeah. And his kind of reemergence of people being like, he's crapped out, vampires, ghosts of Mars, and then Mm -hmm. it's like he's a master of horror. He made these two short films. They're pretty fucking classic. Everybody lost their mind for those things. And it's just one of the craziest things where he went from being the VHS era and now it's like, buy this DVD. It has a one-hour John Carpenter movie on it. Yeah. It's $20. And there's one other one-hour episode on it. We'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll find a way to do them. I just want right? to mention, if it doesn't come those up again, two, I, don't I don't know if yeah. anybody else would say, hey, do you guys remember what a huge deal cigarette burns was? No, I remember it being a big deal. But I also, I remember it being a big deal because I was such a, dare I say it, avid, ain't a cool reader. That mm-hmm. that also felt like this weird seismic thing of like, I'd oh, yeah, totally. This site is now like impacting actual pop culture. Yeah. It just was it was just a huge deal to people who shopped at Kim's, bought a lot of DVDs, collected home video to have John Carpenter make this thing. You couldn't have DVR'd it. There was no on demand. Yeah. You had to buy the DVD of his new thing that was a return to form. And yeah. it's fine. <laughs> it's it's pretty good. Sure. Okay. We watched it a couple years ago. It's fine. But I had to mention it in case it never comes up again. I'm but I sure hope it does. Come up cuz It'll there. There's going to be a lot of ways in which it's going to come up. That and and pro life. Sure. Yes. Uh, body bags is another thing we also have to figure out how to tackle. There's a lot. He's done a lot there's of a shit. Lot. We're okay? figuring it out. Yeah. We're figuring out. We're figuring the point out. is, we've only announced someone's watching me and, and Elvis. Elvis. Those, feel those kind are of crucial. Soon. Sure. Right. All right. Yeah, and we're we're figuring out the rest of it. Let's play the box office game. Now, is this in your book of old timey box office? It sure is. In Halloween, open number nine. Mm-hmm. On 25th October, 1978. Naughty number it, Did nine. it open in like one theater somewhere? No, it opened a, a, in many places, okay. but then they took it out of circulation quickly mm. and turned it into a thing, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, it it's only coming plays. back. Yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like wow. they want, they turned okay. it into a word of it. Part of its box office success. The weird, yeah, um, vision for that is impressive. Number nine with what? No, I don't have totals. Okay. Uh, only the 80s book has totals. Got it. Um, but of course, the movie, I should say, obviously, it's one of the most profitable movies of its ilk. Uh, it cost 300 grand. It made like $70 million, like all told it or whatever. It was considered the most profitable independent film of all time at that point in time, I, I believe. I think so. But they, they, you know, whenever you see these there's always qualifiers right. loaded into these things, and it's like, what's yeah. independent? Obviously, Blair Witch and Paranormal right. Activity and all that, you know, eventually swing in. Carpenter uh, only took $10,000 for all his duties on this movie. Yes. But got percentage He did get points. a percentage, right? right? So he did make it money off like of MASH, it. It wasn't like MASH where but, he made nothing. 
Right. But he never made as much off of how big this franchise got as he probably should have. Yes. And, um, uh, and it probably like, cut him a nice check to do the score for the new one. Sure. Well, that's the whole thing with the when, with the remakes and sequels. He's always like, are you paying me? Then I yeah. support the remake or whatever. Of are like you not? The, yeah, I, the, I, I hold out my hand. Right. Give me the money. <laughs> Give me money. Um, there's also the weird circular circular thing where he was like, I know we need a mask. Let's go to the Don Post company. They're the best at making masks. We can't pay you any money to design anything, but we'll give you like points in the movie. Right. And they were like hard pass and they were like, fuck, what are we going to do? Let's buy a Don Post mask, spray paint it white. And then they're able to produce that mask and make so much fucking money off of it. But then I think the mask rights have also gotten weird. Anyway. I'm sure they have. Yeah. It seems like just I'm excited, so I'm much excited to participate in the 70s box office. Number one at the box office this week, new this week, is a film for which Oliver Stone won an Academy Award. Midnight Express. It's Midnight Express. The winner of Best Score. And I guess Georgia Marauder did too. That's a he movie. Did. It is weird how like much of a sensation that movie was in the 70s versus where it stands in the canon now. It where people is. are like, oh, right, Midnight Express. Like that movie was so successful that Turkish prison just sort of became a bylaw right. for like place you don't want to be. <laughs> right. right. Also, like, like, like as someone who spent much of the lockdown watching 70s and 80s sitcoms, it's like that's still a fucking reference in 86. You don't want to be in a Turkish prison. You girlfriend. won't stop. I, I look, I saw Midnight Express. <laughs> right. like, they keep on making it as if like fucking Midnight Express is Yoda or something. And as a kid, I always got Midnight Express and Midnight Run confused. Same. Yes, right. They're I was very like, I know though. one of these is fun and one of them is harrowing. Right. And one, but. But I don't. But now I'm confused. Yeah, number two at the box office has been number one. I think for a long ass time. I'm not just. I'm sorry. I'm imagining the thought experiment of what if you swapped the scores on Midnight Run and Midnight Express, and you had Midnight Express with the <laughs> Danny Elfman score. <laughs> yeah, like saxophone going. <laughs> I'm sure Midnight Run would work with the Marauder score. It would. Yeah, probably a nice score. Um, this is the third most successful film of 1978. It's a comedy. Third most successful film in 1978, a comedy. Is it stir crazy? It's not stir crazy. It's not a wild a prior? No. They're not involved. Sure. I'm trying to think of very high grossing comedies of the 70s. Huge, huge, huge movie. Massive hit. Massively uh, influential. Sequels? Uh, uh, is it Up in Smoke? No. But Up in Smoke is number four, my friend. Okay. Good job. Is it? There are no sequels. There's other movies under the branding of this movie. Whoa. There's okay. It's a 1978 hugely influential Animal House, National Lampoon's Animal House. Oh, oh, oh. Well, that okay. I don't know how else to describe yeah, it. There no, aren't sequels, fine, but I mean, fine, obviously, it's a brand fine. they revive that's over fine. and over again. It is Animal House, massively successful in its 14th week. And I like I was looking at the box office game, and I'm like, oh, it looks like Animal House is gonna be number one because it's number one for week after week yeah. after week. And then fun, Midnight Express knocks it off. Yeah. People um, want to get serious for one weekend. Number three at the box office, Griffin, uh -huh. is I think one of your favorite movies of all time. And it's new this week. Number three at the box office is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it's new this week. Is it by one of my favorite directors? Yes. It's seen as a bad movie and a flop. Is it Brewster McCloud? No, that's perceived. 70. That's 70? Yeah. Or 71? 71. It's the same year as another great It comes out the same year as MASH. Right, yeah. I, for I forgot it was that early. It's very early, yeah. Okay, wait a second. It's one of my favorite directors. It's seen as a flop. At the time, I believe. It's certainly oh, oh, poorly oh. received. David's sitting back with his smug look on his face because he's astonished that I wouldn't immediately no, recall. Astonished. I just that, of course, knew... the most important American film of 1978 is Sidney Lumet's The Wiz. Correct. It's The Wiz. A movie I study maybe as obsessively as you study Halloween. Jeez. And a movie in which I think the powers are similar. I like the fact that every uh, musical number in that movie is shot like it's from the perspective of Michael Myers five blocks away. <laughs> 
<laughs> observing these pitiful people and their miserable life as they dance their way to doom. What a wild, what a wild. Uh, it's a movie about the uh, this is existential pretty, loneliness of the human condition. This and is a pretty good top five. Right? How uh, oppressed people well, use music used to, be to, very bonkers. to convince themselves that there's any joy in life. It's a masterpiece. I gotta see the whiz. We'll do I mean, the mate. Here's someday. the thing. It's a masterpiece that I find uh, I find half of its running time unwatchable. I find the, all of its running time unwatchable. I think half of it's as good as anything anyone's <laughs> Alex captured. Alex says all. The unwatchable stuff. <laughs> Zero watchable I still find minutes compelling. in that movie, in my opinion. It's so um, good. So just to recap our top four, Midnight Express, Animal House, The Wiz, and Up in Smoke. I'm just saying. I mean. You can have a good time at the American <laughs> yeah. movie theaters right now. Yeah. Number five is a comedy from one of Griffin's favorite directors. He's already been invoked in this box office game. Uh, he's already been invoked in Look, this? it's this year's Altman's movie. Oh, this year's uh, right. Movie. So 78 would be... Fuck. Um, okay, because, wait, Nashville 75, right? Or 76? Nashville is 1975. Um, so then 78 would be... It's this year's Altman movie. It's not a very big hit? No. Is it? But it wait, is a, a comedy. movie of his is called Not a Very Big Hat. No, sorry. Is it is it a wedding? <laughs> it's a wedding. Okay, uh, which I've never seen. Uh, I never have either. It's a weird blind spot. Yeah. Have you seen a wedding? I have. Yeah, Desi Arnaz, right? Sure. <laughs> I believe he's the star. I saw Carol, yeah. Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. Let's I saw, see. I saw Paul it at the Dooley. big Altman, at the Altman series at Mama like seven or eight years ago. Yeah, it's a a wedding, right? I don't know. Yeah, much what, about if it's a a what if there was a wedding? What if there was a wedding? It's it's Nashville at a wedding. Yeah, it's just you know it's the beginning of because it's it, not after Margo Nashville. at the wedding. It's Nashville at the it's wedding. Seventy six is Buffalo Bill. Seventy seven is Three Women, which is obviously great. Seventy eight is a wedding. Seventy nine is Quintet. Oh, Quintet and Perfect Couple, same year. Okay, and then eighty is Health and Popeye. You know, he's he's four years of. In the basement. He's yeah. he's swimming against the current at this point. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> um, number six is a movie called The Big Fix with Richard Dreyfus. I don't know it. I gotta fix it. One of those. I'm sure that's what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> one of those Dreyfus vehicles. That you know no what? One, I'm gonna say no one has watched. That is pretty much the <laughs> oh, vibe I'm getting this from poster. this poster. I like this poster. I've seen this poster. He's peeking. That's uh, a real poster. Looking that's like, to uh, fix look, this thing. Are you in or are you not? Like right. <laughs> we're, gi- we're giving you all we've got here. <laughs> Uh, the Boys from Brazil, Gregory uh-huh. Peck. Uh, you got Death on the Nile with mm-hmm. Peter Ustinov. Uh-huh. I've never seen any of the Ustinov. Uh, uh, we just watched Cordero's. that last year. It's pretty solid, really? that, that movie. Um, yeah. There's Halloween, uh, which I think we talked about on this episode. A and little then, bit, yeah. And then Comes a Horseman, uh, a great, great title. Is that the Alan Pecula movie? Uh, I'm looking it up because I do he know the title. He has with a title it's, uh, that's that or like that. It's a, yeah, it's Pakula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jane good... Fonda, James Caan. Yeah. I was going to say, 70s horse movies. You have Electric Horseman. You have Comes a Horseman. You have They Shoot Horses, Don't They? It was a... That's 68, though, right? What, if they, shot oh, hor- okay. what, if, what okay. if they shot horses, didn't they? I don't know. <laughs> that was the pitch. What if, and hear what me if, out. Uh, they shot horses, they? Didn't shot they? horses, didn't they? So what's it about? It's about people like roller skating for five days straight. <laughs> I just love the roller idea. skating in a circle. Where maybe, maybe the studio, he was like, the movie's called They Shoot Horses. And she was like, nah, that's too gross. Let's add a don't they just to kind of maybe make it. I think it a lot ambiguous. of other movies could be improved by that at the end. Midnight Express, isn't it? <laughs> like, All whatever. these movie titles, they're so arrogant. They're so assured of what they're saying. What You, you have no question. All right. Um, David, uh, how many weekends has The Wiz been in release at this point? Um, this is it's for I told you it's new this week. Oh, Jesus, okay, and it's it's opening at number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this Midnight movie, Express, The Wiz, and Halloween are the new and Comes a Horseman are the new movies this week. I just want to say for perspective, I believe. 
1978, the same year the Halloween was made for $325,000. I believe the Wiz cost $40 million. It cost more than Star Wars the year before. I'm seeing here $24 million, which is still uh, triple the budget of Star Wars. Sure. Okay, fair but, enough. But, you know, yes. a lot. Yes. Um, but, yes, I have never seen the Wiz. Of course, we all love the tagline to the Wiz, Griff. What if there was a Wiz? The Wiz, the stars, the music. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Crash! <laughs> a gutter comes through the window. All right, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. We're yeah, done. I have we're nothing. Done. I have nothing ben, else in my notes. Ben, read that uh, time code to me there. Um, so we've probably definitely gone over three. Uh, probably like three fifteen. I'm guessing three fifteen before ads. Before ads. Short so ads. This might be number one, right? I think it might be. And it I was inevitable. Say, I have to say, Thanos voice. Not <laughs> at all my intention. I didn't did, want did, it. Bullshit. I called shit. No, it's like for that. weeks. You were so like, no, the no, manifesto no, just got another no, page. Months. <laughs> like, Five no. months. My intention was pure density. I had no, I thought, I didn't know if I could Alex, get... I agree with that. You were not being tangenty. You came in with yes, a manifesto. You're focused. You had a lot you wanted to talk about, and we talked about all of it. I, I agree was, with that. It's not like you came in and you were like, we got to do 10 minutes on Guns and Roses. No, but it would be very funny if well, he came in and I talked about the worst movie by this great director for the longest amount of time. It's it's more like I would. It would have hurt so much to be like blank checks doing Halloween Sunday morning loaded up, and I see and I'm like one fifty. Uh, yeah, one fifty, <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell went wrong? And you load it up, and it's just like. So the thing about Star Wars, and I'm just like, guys, come on, what are we doing here? We need to be. Why on, does anyone listen to this show? This is a big know. one. You have to be on topic, and I have to break my pattern to come on. So thank you for uh, letting me sit on this episode for four months. I think it's our best ever. Really? I don't know. I thought this was a pretty good episode, to be honest. I don't know. I just I had a lot of fun and it was great to be in person. It was nice to be in person. It wouldn't have been that long if we had not been in person. Correct. You say this. (laughs) I don't know. But you remember Remember the level. But I'm saying we were at levels of like space madness by the end of that. Like we We, were I was I was, I would say, genuinely insane. You were serious. I felt like I was hallucinating. You can no longer be like, "Uh, my battery's dying. Goodbye, everybody. My battery, I believe, I'm I'm sure was dying. I have no doubt. No, but also I'll say I've seen David's uh, red indicator light flickering several times in this episode. (laughs) He's got one at the side of his temple. Okay, yes. Oh, David's personal red indicator light. Yes, yes. No, his devices are fine. His druid chip that's in the mask on his head. Yes. Well said. Um, Alex, thank you. Thank you so much. David has moved his mic away. That's thing I used to how do conclusively lot. done he is I'm with this done. episode. He swings We're it done. away like a shock jock who's just made his final big joke. Uh, I'm putting my chips in. I'm like, enough. I'm not gambling anymore. Basta. Uh, thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank hey, you, you know, too. Halloween rules. Halloween rules, John Carpenter rules. I'm so happy to be at the beginning of what's going to just be a wonderful series of episodes with great films. 12 of which I've rewatched in the last month. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you to Marie Brody for our social media. Thank you to Pat Rounds and Joe Bowen for our artwork. Thank you to uh, JJ Birch, Nick Loriano, and Alex Ross Perry for our research this week. I think you deserve that credit, even though you are not on payroll. No, a labor of love. A labor of love. A uh, labor of love. Jesus, I need to stop talking. Thank you to AJ McKeon and Alex Barron for editing Go to blankies.red.com for some real nerdy shit. And you can go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features where we are spelunking in the dark with a man they call Richard B. <laughs> Riddick. Spelunking in the dark. 
right? No, what better way to describe it? And as we said, uh, someone's watching me and uh, Elvis coming on uh, the Patreon in uh, uh, coming weeks. Uh, so timeline's a little wonky on that. But uh, if you want to fill in those necessary gaps of those two big TV movies from early on in his career. Uh, tune in next week for The Fog with Nia DaCosta returning to the show. Just in time for Candyman. And as always... have seen it through this window. Standing on the lawn, he could have seen inside. Crap! A pipe goes through the window!